Uh-oh, censorship and sadistic puzzle design. The nature of comedy overlapping with horror. The distinction between funny and humorous. And a point-and-click graphic adventure that's a true trailblazer in gaming history. I'm the well-bred mage, and this is MageCast. Enter this haunted house with me. Swimming pools are radioactive, and disembodied tentacles roam free. A house so meticulously designed that it still has many secrets in store 30 years later. If you haven't heard, Maniac Mansion is a classic and a landmark. And here to unpack exactly why is my special guest, Bill Tucker of A Gamer Looks at 40 podcast. Together, we pick our way down dimly lit hallways and arcades, searching for clues and keys, trying to unravel the coiled mystery that is one of the most celebrated games in its category. I learned a lot about one of my favorites. Heck, we even surprised ourselves. MageCast is the podcast for conversationalists in a world where we've already stopped listening to each other. To learn more, visit thepixels.com, that's the-pixels.com, and patreon.com forward slash thepixels. You can join our Discord to be a part of the conversation, link in the description, or find me on Twitter at the Wellred Mage. Finally, catch me live streaming at twitch.tv forward slash the Wellred Mage thrice a week, in addition to the odd MageCast podcast pre-show on Thursday nights. Hey, how's it going? Welcome to another episode of MageCast. I, of course, am the well-read mage, a.k.a. Moses, your host, uh, sitting with me uh, at not too far a distance now uh, <laughs> is a good friend of mine, Bill Tucker uh, of A Gamer Looks at 40 podcast. Bill, how are you? Good, good. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, it's I, I always look forward to talking with you. You seem like just one of those people that's like resiliently joyful when, when you talk like you, just, <laughs> you sound like you're smiling you know so i i it's always a pleasure I, I i'm talking in a microphone this is this is my happy place so i can't <laughs> i can't imagine not right and you get off the phone you're like thresh and fresh and podcast <laughs> i can't believe it <laughs> yelling at my kids kicking the dog just <laughs> yeah, horrible oh horrible person <laughs> but went on a podcast that's it just happiest sun- place on earth just sunshine and lights at all yeah. at all times Bully cherries. <laughs> well, uh, Bill, so you're doing the Gamer Looks at 40 podcast, which uh, is an excellent show. Um, we were talking about it here before starting. Uh, it's not merely excellent because I've appeared on it, but it is excellent because I think you're putting together uh, a podcast in an interesting way that's more than just highlighting a conversation. You're sort of putting together sort of like a documentary. I keep saying sort of. You keep putting you're putting together like a, a documentary sort of thing with many different voices chiming in on the same subject or contextually similar yep. subjects. And so I think the show, especially in the gaming sphere at least for me and what I've encountered, uh, comes across as really professional and unique. I appreciate that, man. Thank you. Yeah, the the show again, gamer a gamer looks at forty. The kind of the tagline is it's the it's the oral history of video games as told through the stories and recollections of the everyday people who've lived it. Um, the intention of it is to try to capture the heart and soul of the hobby as opposed to the nuts and bolts. Um, you're right. It's I, I have a very much so. It's a everyone's welcome policy. I don't care if you're talking into a professional mic or if you're just talking on your phone via Skype or. You know, I don't care. I want this to be a very inclusive because I think everybody's stories are interesting and everybody's viewpoints are interesting to to a certain extent, right? 
And I mm-hmm. think that if you've spent any time engaging in video games, it's probably had an impact on your life where you have strong opinions on something or something's connected with you that you can't just see on a box description or on a review. So the goal is to kind of go through the history of games. Um, we've gone through the Super Nintendo era, although I fully realize that as I have these conversations with people, I'm going to be going back to eras, but I'm just giving uh. myself the flexibility to do that. And um, yeah, so it's been a pretty cool spot. It's you know, the way you said it's pretty well. It's like a documentary style almost where lots of different voices on every given episode and each episode is either topic or about a particular game. So, yeah. you know, and that kind of fits into the question that I was going to ask you as well. You're moving kind of through a chronology here. What happens when you get to the end? Is this like a limited series or you are giving yourself the freedom to return to previous eras as, say, inspiration or guests allow? Yeah, I I would like it as it continues on and it picks up steam, picks up more listeners and kind of gathers that momentum. I would like this to eventually morph into more story based and topic based. Um, but I do see that there is basically an end game at some point. So this will be limited air quotes. Um, I expect this project to take um, probably well over a year at this point. I've been at it for a few months. And I've barely gotten out of 16 bit era. I have whole Sega section we're going to start talking about. Um, so it's going to go slower than I thought, but that's okay. Cause again, I want to tell more of those stories. So we'll see where it goes towards the end. You know, I, I envisioned this as a limited run. Like we're going to get to the end, um, especially with my original idea. We're going to get to an end. We're going to be out of video game history. <laughs> so it'll no longer be a retro show. <laughs> it'll be like retro as of like five years ago. And um, we'll see. I, I'm leaving very open-ended. If it's, if it morphs into something that is very story-based and people telling stories of their childhood and, how games have impacted it, then great. You know, that's how it morphs into. So, well, folks definitely go and check that out. Not right now. Wait, 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 listen to the rest (laughs) of what Bill and I have to say when you're done and you want some more podcasting goodness, uh, definitely go and check out a gamer looks at 40 podcast. There's going to be links to that in the description below. Uh, this show though is concerned with, uh, a certain subject. This is Magecast episode 59, entitled microwaved hamsters Mm. and we are talking about maniac mansion which was released in 1987 by lucasfilm games for commodore 64 and apple II, as well as amiga pc atari st and nes and uh i think since then there's been ports to other places but we'll talk about that uh by the way there's there's going to be spoilers ahead Magecast being a podcast for conversationalists about conversation and the art and joy of conversation and just appreciating talking with people. Uh, we're going to talk about stuff. So sometimes that means we might talk about the end of the game or endings of the game. Uh, if that bothers you, I mean like, look, this game's been out since 1987. Let's be real. Uh, <laughs> yeah. but it is also a puzzle game. I don't think we're going to, like we don't, we're not really planning to talk about solutions to the puzzles tonight, uh, of which there are many. So, mm-hmm. uh, but we may talk about you know elements of the game that that might make some people uncomfortable. If so, find another episode to listen to. Go listen to Gamer Looks at Forty. Check it out. Okay, but if you're good with spoilers on a game from 1987, let's go ahead start start off on a positive note. Yep. Uh, at the Guilty Man on Twitter said, "Oh look." My favorite NES game, which I think is cool because there's a lot of great NES games. And for this to be somebody's favorite, that's awesome. And it had to resonate personally with uh, 
with uh, the guilty man there. It's because this is a I this is a treat. I I do love this game a lot. We're gonna talk a bit about our histories with it, but man, this is this is a good one, and this is um yeah, this is just a good one. No, it is, and I have to echo those sentiments. It is a good one, and I we were talking before about how alarming it was that a couple people didn't know what this game was um, at all. <laughs> no, I was like, me. oh, no. That oh, baffles no. me. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's one thing like to say that even. I'm like, well, that sounds kind of like an elitist. But <laughs> no. Yeah. Are they, we're not talking about just like, oh, here's a game that we think is really, really good. That's old, and we're old, so that makes us feel good about ourselves. No, no, no. This is a very influential and foundational game in the history of gaming, uh, as we'll see throughout the episode. So if you have not tried it yourself, uh, I would highly recommend, but we'll get into answering that question uh, in more detail in a little bit. To open, let's discuss some mage facts about this game. Maniac Mansion is a point-and-click graphic adventure. Uh, now, I always called it a point-and-click adventure, but I guess graphic adventure is the more uh, correct uh, categorization there because that's distinct from text adventures. Hmm. So is that a little before your time? It's a little before mine. Yeah, a little before as well. I, it's funny. When I saw that um, point-and-click graphic adventure, I'm thinking, well, if it's not a graphic adventure, what are you pointing and clicking at? But maybe there's text adventure games out there. I'm not too much of a historian on that, but mm-hmm. – um, yeah, no, it's definitely one of the first of its kind, though, for sure. Yeah, so like text adventures, I mean, like, I'm sure we can call them to mind as far as like what it is. I can't remember playing too many, like specifically, but I know my dad did play text adventures uh, when I was very young. So I guess here the the idea is that it's the same sort of thing, but you're applying a graphic to the text. And then instead of sort of like parsing your text out or deciding on your syntax or typing, you have pointing and clicking uh, between a bunch of verbs that you have at the bottom of the screen and then items as graphics in the top of the screen. And uh, I suppose then in the development of Maniac Mansion, uh, what they really wanted to get away from was the typing aspect. Yeah. And having a bit more focus than on the items and the graphics themselves. Yeah. And that's an improvement, right? Um, trying to remember that, Oh, it's, it's get not grab or put and not place. And a lot of that mm. text adventure I've played in, in the early, early past. And those were never fun. Cause like you said, that syntax was, was part of the barrier. It's just more natural to point click and uh, tell your character what to do. Somebody's going to shoot us for saying that. <laughs> I mean, somebody it's, is. <laughs> it's, it's an improvement. I mean, you're allowed to like something that's old and, and, and uh, I don't know, <laughs> cherished, I guess. You're, no, I, no, you're, I think you're <laughs> totally right. And I agree with you. I mean, I've, I've surprisingly recently, like I've met some people who are like, oh man, but the text adventures though. And I respect that. You like Zork? Zork it up, man. <laughs> Zork is good. Zork it up. But, Hitchhikers uh, is great. Right. If you want to, <laughs> if you want to play, you know, a, something that I think you're okay. Cause you, so you said better. And I think like, if we're phrasing this in terms of like, say biological evolution or just technological advancement, mm-hmm. adding graphics to that requiring, mm, when I say requiring less from a player, I mean, just making that process smoother and more convenient. Cause essentially you're still doing the same thing. You're just not having to fight through 
the typing and the syntax again yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah. So, I was, I would, the way I would say is less friction. That's really less friction. I like that. Less friction. Yeah. Yeah. This was, uh, this was Lucas games first self-published uh, product. So this is the first uh, game Lucasfilm came out with. We all know who Lucasfilm is or what Lucasfilm is. Um, and it pioneered um, a lot of things in gaming. Um, it was just a, it was, this was like you said, a, not a sea change, I would say, but, as closest to one as you can get um this this changed a lot of things in the gaming landscape right and to be their first self-published product so like presumably then they've developed things i don't know exactly what they developed before this and somebody else published it but for this to be their first self-published game under lucasfilm games that's that's pretty cool yeah uh so a couple of ways in which maniac mansion has pioneered thing things uh the term cutscene that we use so frequently today was apparently coined for this game by one of its creators, Ron Gilbert. Uh, I did not know that. I believed that the first cutscene in the gaming history was in Pac-Man. There's an intermission hmm. uh, between certain stages in which Pac-Man's kind of like, Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Pac-Man's is gold, but here I guess was the first time they coined the actual term that is still in use. And again, this is in 1987. I think they began developing it in 1985. So that coin, that coin, that term goes way back. Uh, but this is apparently where you can uh, find its origins. Yeah. And one thing I just want to note in case people are paying attention and keeping, keeping notes. We're about 15 minutes in, I think. And Moses has already sung. So we already have a song <laughs> on this show. So we're, I think we're, this might be a new record. I don't know if this yeah. is a, a new record. There's a the couple of epi- episodes where I started off. Soon, <laughs> okay. So. Dang. Okay. Like, I think, yeah. I, like, I think on the, the wiki. I'm sure there's uh, information <laughs> on it somewhere. Somebody's bingo card. They're like, bingo. He's saying, uh, <laughs> yes. I, uh, I think it was the Darkwing duck episode. I sang the, the theme song Very nice. for the intro of that episode. So Very nice. it, it, it zero minutes in. Very nice. Yeah, I, I love the cutscene in this. It's, it makes it very cinematic. Um, it, it lends a, a different uh, level of interactivity where you are just watching the, some events unfold. And they're very quick. They're not, you know, these aren't long cutscenes. But the, the way they use this in this game to break up the gameplay and provide other actions happening while you're, work, while you're playing. So, oh, there's a doorbell. Now you know, oh, no. Um, yeah, he's Ed is running around the house, going to the door. So you gotta scramble your kids out of the way. Like yes. having the using those to um move things forward and move the story forward and provide more gameplay context, you know, and gameplay alternatives and more uh concern. Like I, when I'm playing, I'm always hiding my kids in places I know the adults aren't gonna be. You know, I'm always keeping them out of the way just in case Ed comes downstairs to get some food or. You know, so it, it lends a right. lot of urgency. Yeah, scramble. Yeah, exactly. I mean, for me uh, to express it in in terms that I was thinking, uh, it really gives the mansion a sense of presence that the villains and the other inhabitants of the house uh, aren't just like stuck in one room. They aren't just like when they move, right. they're not just like teleporting from their bedroom to the kitchen. Right. Or something like that. They're actually moving through the house. Which is which super cool. 
is super cool. Also, like super creepy at the same yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. That like there, it's essentially shark infested waters. That there are there are monsters moving through this house, uh, in various ways at various times. And so I think the cutscenes really highlight that they have a presence in the home, and you have to be careful about that. So definitely a thing to appreciate. Yeah, for sure. Um, the game was uh, created on a brand new engine created just for it. Um, called Scum, which is which stands for Script Creation Utility for Maniac Mansion. I did not know that off the top of my head. I wish I did. I had to look at that. Um, <laughs> I didn't know that either. <laughs> no, I, I just had to look it up. And uh, it's pretty revolutionary. Like I think you said, um, Red, it essentially allows you to have your verbs below your character screen and allows you to select the verbs that correspond to the actions you want that character to do. There are a bunch. I think it's like... I was a 18 verbs, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, I'm glad you counted them. Like I was going to, and I was like, eh, Bill will do it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the guest. I'll do some heavy lifting. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's, <laughs> there's 18 verbs um, below. It seems like a lot. Um, you only use, I would say maybe half of them on a, on a regular basis, if, if that, um, but it's cool. It's very expressive, allows for expressive gameplay and lots of creativity to try things out. Um, and again, there's, lo- there's not a lot of friction in that. If you choose the wrong verb to, let's say, turn on the Victrola and you say use Victrola, it doesn't work. You can go right back and just like turn on. Oh, maybe it's turn on. Boom. And turn on the Victrola. Right, right, right. And so, yeah, a lot smoother than having to type it all up again, especially if you're a bad typist. Right. Uh, then that's a little frustrating. Yep. Um, so definitely. And then I heard that uh, – I heard. I read <laughs> – that uh, for Scum, translating that to NES was a bit of a challenge. Mm. Um, but they created kind of like an NES version of Scum, specifically mm. for Manic Mansion. So interesting. I mean, it's a whole new game engine. Uh, yeah. And by the way, I guess that kind of brings it up. We're not really talking about any specific version. We will get into versions and what we played recently and what we've played in the past. Yep. Um, but just to let you know, we're not talking about any specific version of this game. Uh, next bit of pioneering fact here, Tim Schafer, who you may know from a variety of hilarious games, mm-hmm. uh, received his first professional credit as a playtester for the NES version of Maniac Mansion. He of That's course cool. would go on to make day of the tentacle. Very, very interesting. That's a, that's a fun fact. Uh, of course, and you know, Double Fine, of course, all those classic games. Oh, yeah. Um, very, very interesting uh, factoid when I saw that. I was like, oh, that's neat. Very cool. <laughs> that is neat. It's like a cute factoid. Like, yeah. Oh, no. uh, and then, of course, um, Maniac Mansion, as we, I guess we all know, if you're still here, then you should know this. Um, Mar- Maniac Mansion is a great marriage of adventure and humor. Um, this is obviously a very humorous game, very funny and we'll talk a lot about the humor probably later on in the show. But this was a pioneer in a game comedy. Um, yeah, just a pioneer in in that kind of realm. Oh, yeah, I don't think we could say that it was the first like comedic game. I'm no, sure it was probably not. not. But uh, as far as like popularizing that, definitely, especially in its genre category. Uh, do you have a favorite joke from Maniac Mansion? Oh man, I there's there's so many. Uh, and we'll talk about the humor later on, I suspect, but it's, I don't, nothing springs to mind immediately. I love uh-huh. the relationship between Edna and, um, and, uh, Dr. Fred, uh, and how they're kind of this, 
almost like a married with children kind of thing where they <laughs> she she's kind of very amorous at least in the Commodore 64 64 version I played and uh, he's just obsessed with the meteor and she's kind of realizing things are wrong I just find that dynamic very funny um, and anything involving um, depressed green tentacle I, I get a good chuckle at too <laughs> just, I'm so depressed <laughs> I'll never make it I'll never make it ever yeah. when you uh, when you grow up and you've tried a few things that haven't you know, coalesced into successful projects. Mm-hmm. Then you see Green Tentacle, you're just like, oh, he's such a great stereotype. I love it. Oh and, it's been, and, and, it's, <laughs> and, he, and he's clearly like young, like probably late teenager, probably. So, you know, the world is ending anytime something doesn't work. So, right, you right, know, right. His, and his world is just, just too emo to even, even talk about. <laughs> he was emo. Oh, yeah. It was cool. Yep. Well, I'll tell you my favorite joke. Uh, it's right at the beginning, actually. There's a sign on the on the fence out front that says, at least in the NES version, uh, warning trespassers will be horribly mutilated. And <laughs> yeah. I freaking love that. <laughs> That's really just, good. It sets the tone, I think, mm-hmm. just as a simple sign, a placard that you can pass. You don't even have to read it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it sets the tone for what's going to happen in the rest of the game as far as you know, black comedy and and some horror in there. I told my wife actually um, that we should get that for a placard at, at our front door <laughs> in case any thieves are attempting to break in. They're like horribly mutilated. <laughs> oh, never mind. Solicitors will be horribly mutilated. That's <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, I don't hear any rings on the doorbell. Well, the, so the earliest prototype of the game was evidently a paper and pencil board game with cards representing actions and characters inside the mansion. And you can actually view this uh, as a map in this in the game itself, hanging from one of the walls. Uh, I did not know this until today. No. It is a travesty that, I, as far as I know, they've never released like a Maniac Mansion board game? Mm, no, I don't think so. Why not? Just Why don't you do that? Let's go, guys. Get on get on that. We could definitely use a, a Maniac Mansion board game. The style would lend itself so well. I mean, it really would be a fun do, done properly, of course. It would be a a fun way to experience that kind of world and scenarios. And yeah. All that. I mean, fun. especially if it's already mapped out. Like it's yeah. done. Sure, it's just, in somebody's uh somebody's desk drawer somewhere, just waiting to be uncovered. Yeah, just throw it well, out. Because I read that they they fired uh Ron Gilbert after this game. Lucasfilm did because it it ran past the development time uh that was projected so i like who got to keep the board game you know <laughs> like maybe he's got in his closet or something i don't know that that would be interesting to find out it would be funny uh the mansion itself was inspired by the main house of skywalker ranch uh which is actually a really cool little factoid as well um hopefully there's no you know horrible chainsaws on the on the kitchen wall covered in blood <laughs> hopefully there's no nuclear reactor but um, that's pretty cool. I like that idea. That's the main house of Skywalker Ranch. It's pretty fun. Yeah. I want to think that there's a George Lucas cameo or shout out in Maniac Mansion, but I don't know. I don't think so. Don't there's know. there's a number of Lucasfilm slash, there's a few Star Wars references as well. Yeah, there um, you go. But uh, we can actually talk about it. Especially there's, if you look into, and this might be just on the version I played. Uh, I don't remember the NES version too well. But if you go into um, Cousin Ed, right? Ed is the paramilitary why is my brain? Oh, well, I think it was Weird Ed. Weird Ed. Maybe Thank it was you. Cousin Ed. No, it's it's Dead Cousin Ted. That's the one that ends up in the uh, 
That's the mummy in Day of the Tentacle. But anyway, yeah, oh, Weird Ed. Weird Ed in his room. There's little TIE fighters and, and X-Wings. That's right. That actually is in the NES version. Yeah. And I saw them and were like, hey, cool airplanes. That's I didn't even yep. think in terms yeah. of uh, them being ships. Yeah. And I think in the uh, in the arcade, there's also a sign for um, that's something Star Wars related. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Well, let me look it up. Yeah, there's totally an X-Wing in uh, in his room. Uh, you can see it in the NES version, Commodore 64, the remakes. So that's neat. But yeah, yeah, they definitely got that in there. There was also a TV sitcom of the same name, very loosely based on Maniac Mansion, which aired on the Family Channel in the U.S. in 1990 and ran three seasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, I forgot about this until Death Monkey XL pointed and a couple other folks pointed out but death monkey xl said on twitter i just looked and found out there was a maniac mansion tv series and it had three seasons 62 episodes jeez i'll have to see if it's streaming somewhere uh we looked it doesn't look like it is streaming somewhere but uh, here's your gift uh, you mm-hmm. can unwrap it before christmas it is <laughs> there is one episode at least that i saw on youtube uh from like season 3 or something yeah uh it's trash. Like, have you, you seen it? <laughs> you well, you sent it to me in the show notes. So I before this show, I figured oh, I'll give myself some twenty minutes. I'll watch this YouTube. I made it four minutes. I got yeah. four minutes in. I punched out Maverick. I'm like, no, 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 no. It's it is, bad. It's bad, bad, bad. And it's that's season three. They're hitting their stride. Like they, they right. are <laughs> that was the stride. Yeah, yeah. That's like you know <laughs> they like if that's Breaking Bad. That's like really when it starts ramping up. That's when you're like, okay, this show is landmark. No, 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 no. This yeah. show is not that. Oh, boy. Yeah. So evidently, uh, it changed a lot during the development of the TV show until it became unrecognizable compared to the game, which I didn't see this as a kid. Uh, if I had, I probably would have been really upset about it because you watch it and it has like this like sweet little ditty for its intro music. Oh, it's so weird. And it's like this is Dr. Fred. This is like they're not even blue or green. They're just like a normal family that lives in a house like a like a Hallmark yeah house. They're they're barely kooky. Like they're right. <laughs> like one of them's a fly. There's that. I oh, guess. Was, see, I didn't make it again. Four minutes. <laughs> I was punching. They're like, Maverick. hey, cousin Vinny. And like Vinny's like, hey, what's up? I'm a fly. And I was like, all right, this kind of sucks. Yeah, so, not great. No, not at all. But you can watch it uh, if you like just ruining your day. Uh, you can definitely watch it. And then, uh, of course, Maniac Mansion had a sequel to it, which was um, Day of the Tentacle that was released in 1993. I personally have more recollections of Day of the Tentacle than I do Maniac Mansion. I played Day of the Tentacle to death. Um, I own it in a lot of different versions now, and that game is a joy as well. It's a phenomenal um, uh, successor of Maniac Mansion. So, well, that was it. That was. I'm glad that you've played it because I actually have not. Oh, okay. Uh, I've always wanted to play it. Everybody speaks of it very highly. Uh, I know quite a bit about it because people have talked it up. Sure. Um, but man, I, I really can't wait to play Daily Tentacle. Yeah, it's fantastic. You can play it on nearly anything these days. Um, I think I have it on like PS4. I was gifted it 
for Christmas one year. I'm like, oh, thank God. I now have Day of the Tentacle on another thing. Great. <laughs> Sweet. It means I get to play it again. Awesome. <laughs> Um, it's just a joy. It really does capture the some a lot of the magic of Maniac Mansion. I think some of the puzzles are harder. It's a longer game. And I think okay. some of the puzzles are definitely a little more esoteric. But when that game hits its strides, it's it's hitting on all cylinders. It's fantastic. So So here's a question for you then about Day of the Tentacle. So and we're gonna talk about later uh the NES version being censored so mm-hmm. it could be more presented for children. Mm-hmm. Uh and then of course the earlier Commodore 64, Amiga, all that stuff. Uh well, I've never played the Amiga version, so I can't speak to that. But the original version definitely had things like profanity, um, sexual content, um I assume graphic content. I mean, microwaving a hamster and it exploding is pretty graphic. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, but how does Day of the Tentacle work? Like, is it because to look at it, it seems more cartoonish. It is. So, yeah, is it more like family friendly than the original Maniac Mansion? Or I would say so. Small? Yeah, I would definitely yeah. say it's definitely more family friendly. There's not many. I would say there's not any mature themes. There's a couple of moments in that game that you know, if you looked at it sideways, you'd be like, "Ooh, that's a little, it's a little off color." But I, I would say it's very PG. You know, um, okay. Very PG. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> that seems like Tim, Sh- Tim Schaefer. Kind yeah. Of. It's, it's, and it's fine. Like I wouldn't have no problem letting my kid play day of the tentacle. It would be no issue whatsoever. Nice. Well, yeah, I mean, I figure that cause if I can have a, an opportunity as a father to play a game with my kids, then I'll always look for that opportunity. I think that's really great. Yeah. So, well, I mean, we talked about a couple factoids here. Now to get a little personal, mm. uh, what are your personal experiences with this? I mean, when did you first play it? Um, and uh, and what kind of made it resonate with you? So I don't remember when it was released on the NES. Um, my brother got it for Christmas one year. And I must have been probably, I want to say 1989, 1990 maybe. I, I'm trying to remember exactly when. Yeah. It was um, 1990 when the NES version came out. Okay. So it might have yeah. been right. It must have been 1990 then. And it was his game, although we both shared everything. So it wasn't like, oh, strict ownership, you know? He mm. played it a ton. I played it quite a bit. And uh, I remember just finding it enchanting. I I never played too much with the systems. I just knew I knew the critical path to win. And in that era, I was in the mood of winning. I was just like, if I can win, that's that's my goal here. Um, mm. But it, it's just, it was just, again, just it created this kind of weird abstraction of a real world. And again, it has so many ties to, you know, horror tropes and slasher film tropes and high school kid tropes. And it kind of mushes it all together. And I almost felt like it was recognizable. Like, Oh, I know Bernard. He's like the weird kid in school. He's me. I I totally get you. Bernard. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have glasses. You have glasses. This, this works. And Oh, I get Dave. He's, he's that kid in class and the rocker chick. Yeah. I, you know, it was, it was it was very connective, and if that makes any sense. And I remember just loving it, playing it as a kid. It was very formative, and of course, the soundtrack is just the NES soundtrack is just wall to wall slaps. It is just phenomenal. One of my <laughs> probably one of my favorite soundtracks on the NES. It's definitely great. It is great. Like you, I mean, I have a similar story, except I did not know the NES version existed in 1990. Uh, I first played this on Commodore 64. Hmm. which is a platform that represents my earliest gaming memories. So sometimes I think that was probably my first platform um, and loved it and thought that I I think to me, what really jumped out was uh, the black humor. Uh, 
mm-hmm. um, that it was a really like creatively funny game. So it wasn't just it wasn't just slapstick or it wasn't just puns or anything that, you know, really predominates and populates children's humor. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm doing the wiggles with my fingers here. Yeah. <laughs> children's humor, you know, that's sort of cutesy. But this had a, this had an element of, like you said, familiarity. Definitely I'm cute, but yeah. witty in a way that would present surreal situations. But in something that that in a in a frame that you might expect so like the whole haunted haunted house idea uh but you get to actually explore it and you get to discover all these wacky things so i remember like drawing up my own rooms for maniac mansion 2 and just being like oh yeah this room's gonna have like you know an alien blob in the corner that's reading a newspaper and stuff like that um and I think there was crossover in my brain with like Maniac Mansion and like Farside Comics and Calvin and Hobbes and things mm-hmm. like that. So that's just stuff that I really appreciate so much. So in fact, that uh, at one point I saw Maniac Mansion on a store shelf. Uh, I think it was the DOS version and I bought it uh, without having a computer, without having access to a computer. Really. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, because I just wanted to own it and I pulled everything out of the, this beautiful, like ca- thick cardboard mm. package. Oh, um, right. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, right? yeah, and it had big like, box, big box PC yeah, games. Oh, it had gosh, like yeah. the, the blue marbling on the side and the gorgeous, oh. huge, uh, like poster art on the front that I just adored. And, uh, pulled it out and you know i'm holding the the floppy in my hands <laughs> and i'm just like someday i'm gonna play this mm-hmm. because i loved this previously on commodore 64 right. at like a friend's dad's office or some some place that i was just being thrown in a room to be babysat or something something <laughs> uh, and i was like someday i'm gonna have a computer i've got my first computer in 2001 <laughs> so <laughs> by the time i got that computer uh, I don't think it even had a floppy disk drive, actually. Probably not. Uh, How funny. Yeah. And then I, I eventually lost that DOS version. So I don't know if I ever actually got to play that <laughs> specific purchase. But between the time of getting my first computer and buying that DOS version, I did find out that it was on NES. Um, and I was overjoyed at that fact that I could play yep. it on a home console, not have to have a computer. Um and so the game to me is like quasi holy grail, quasi just like comfort food. That's Love cool. it. Very Again. cool. Uh, question here from Sinjin45, who asked, who's your favorite Maniac Mansion kid and why is it Razor? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I I was always a Team Bernard kid. I because I, I just identified with that <laughs> character so much. Um, he was dorky and technical and like fiddling with wires and fixing things and so i identify with with um with bernard so i was always a bernard guy but i really do razor's pretty awesome though too yeah uh absolutely um so the game has six playable characters right it's got dave uh razor bernard sid wendy jeff and michael the last three i don't know anything about honestly i just know jeff surfs and does nothing wendy's the novelist michael's the photography guy yeah, uh, that, that was my main. My main was um, Dave, of course, Bernard, and Michael. I always ran those three. Really? Yep. 
Yep. Interesting. Because um, Michael has the ability to, um, of course, develop the film. I forget exactly what he does. I think I just liked his music because his music is my favorite in the game. <laughs> I love his nice. theme. Um, but I always ran that. I never ran Jeff. Jeff is useless. I don't know what utility mm-hmm. he serves. Um, I really don't. Uh, Wendy, of course, is a novelist. You can do the whole manuscript backstory and, and that method of um, getting rid of the meteor. And then, of course, mm-hmm. Razor is one of the, more, one of the most uh, probably uh, versatile, I think, because she can do a lot of different stuff. Uh, when I ran it this time around, I did Dave Bernard and Razor. And I had Razor running around the entire time, basically, because she could play the piano. She can, she can do anything. Yeah. She can do most things. Um, Bernard, of course, with support. And Dave sat in the basement in the dungeon <laughs> and pushed the loose brick. That's all that man did. As he yeah. sat there and pushed a loose brick because Dave is relatively useless. So everybody has a special skill except Dave, whose special skill is pushing a loose brick. He's, he can, he uh, can reach the brick. That's what he does. That's what he did. He's he's dungeon fodder. To me, uh, Dave, Bernard, and Razor are the default choices. Yeah. Like on the NES, at least. I don't know if it's true for the other versions. I love that we play different versions. Mm-hmm. Um. But on the NES version, I believe that like they're the two kids that are actually closest to Dave's icon. Mm -hmm. Um, It's like Dave, Razor, Bernard. So that to me is just like Dave, Razor, Bernard. That's who I'm taking every time. Mm -hmm. Um, Sid's music, though, is banging. Yeah. So sometimes I swap out Sid with Razor. Yeah. But uh, favorite is hard to pick. It it really is. Michael, I love that little funk jam. That's so good. (laughs) Michael's music. Um, but yeah, now again, I always ran Bernard cause again, I, I knew him very well. He could do, you can fix the radio tube. He can fix the wires. He does a lot of good stuff. So absolutely. Uh, so again, a lot of people that I talked to at least this past week didn't seem to know too much about this game. A couple of people didn't recognize it. Hmm. Um, so to just run over the basic premise mm-hmm. of the game, the intro opens with a meteor crashing into the hillside near the mansion. Uh, this is apparently a villainous sentient meteor that uh, twisted the inhabitants of the house. Uh, the goal is to rescue Dave's girlfriend, who I discovered her name is Sandy Pants. Uh, creative. <laughs> yeah, that's good. <laughs> where, where they got like I, <laughs> I could just picture uh, was it Gilbert and Winnick. Uh, apparently during development, they would just sit and talk and laugh. And they'd be like, oh, let's do that. So somebody was like, what should we call Dave's girlfriend? How about Sandy Pants? Like, sure. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I can see them picking it out of like one of those like um one of those like word magnet pieces, like sets where you can like you're supposed to like be you can select prompts out of like a, a bowl of words and letters. Sandy pants and thrown on the refrigerator. Oh, there you go. Perfect. That's a perfect name <laughs> for someone. Uh, there are also multiple endings and different routes to those endings, depending on the kids you chose to accompany Dave. So, uh, you know, you can only take three with you and that includes Dave. So you only get to pick two, Mm -hmm. but I guess the combination of the two affects the kinds of puzzles that you're going to have to solve. Yep. Uh, which is all, I mean, dramatically interesting. Like that is a huge amount of replay value because there's lots of different combinations, of course. The multiple endings, different routes are just such a, again, such an interesting thing. For example, you pick, uh, if you don't have Wendy in your party, you can't do any of the, the manuscript stuff. So you'll find the manuscript, you'll see the typewriter, but you can't do anything with it. It just becomes chaff at that point. So it's cool. Yeah. It, and it lends itself to different um, playing it multiple times too. Yeah, absolutely. 
and so inside the mansion, these puzzles, like we mentioned, must be solved through item acquisition and interaction in order to proceed, move on through the mansion, and figure out how your specific chosen party is going to rescue Sandy. And that, I believe, is where the adventure genre part of things mm -hmm. plays in. Uh, so the adventure genre, I think, is an interesting one. Uh, and I really want to touch on that here in just a moment. Uh, but to kind of figure out a little bit more here of this premise, uh, there are monsters within the mansion. It is a kind of haunted house. Mm -hmm. uh, the Edison family, comprised of Dr. Fred, Nurse Edna, and Weird Ed, uh, as well as two disembodied tentacles. <laughs> oh, yeah, <but> <laughs> <laughs> I always wondered where they came up with that idea it's of so just good. like, it's not an arm that's running around like the, like in the, the Adams family. It is like an actual cut off tentacle from a huge squid or octopus <laughs> that's just hopping around. <laughs> Some Kraken out there is just uh, wincing in pain that his two tentacles are now right. <laughs> severed and traipsing around the house. That's uh yeah. Yes. Absolutely. And I love that they have kind of like different personalities too. Mm -hmm. Like purple is this really loyal, like right hand man for Dr. Fred. And then green tentacle is like, at first he's hungry and I'm like, I guess his shtick is he's hungry. But then you find out, I, like we mentioned earlier, he's this kind of suffering artist, uh, teenager mentality. thing. That's Always upstairs on. sulking in his room. Just, uh, yeah. And, and when you walk in, like he just vomits on you. Like he, he has so much <laughs> pent up rage that he's just like, Oh my gosh, I got a vent. And yeah, that is one of my favorite, character. my favorite jokes. And that is, as we're going to talk about this favorite jokes are going to pop up. I love, he says, I ate all that food and it didn't even help. <laughs> <laughs> so so relatable. I mean, that's so super good. Relatable. Yeah. So good. So, uh, with these villains, you can be killed, uh, and you can get a game over. And evidently no win situations exist then. So um, this past Thursday, I decided to create a MageCast pre-show segment of my streaming channel. Uh, so on Thursday nights, I'll probably be playing in advance uh, some of the games that we're talking about on this show. So it was a joy to return to Maniac Mansion on NES. I got the cart. I put it in the OG hardware. Big shout out to my boy, the big boy NES that just handled it. That man, I cleaned that thing with a little bit of uh, alcohol, and I was like, "Please work tonight. Do not glitch <laughs> out. I'm in the middle of a live stream. Please, I'll give you anything." And I was like, "It's cool, bro. It's cool." And so the whole like two hour stream, hmm. it it just kept running really reliably. So Great. thank you, NES. Great. That was that was fun. Um, but. As I was going to say, so playing it on NES, I did blow up the house nice. accidentally. You did it um, accidentally. How'd you do it accidentally? Well, I, so I, <laughs> here's the thing. With all the, I love this game, of fawning on it, I can't remember anything. <laughs> like, I can barely remember, like, you know, you push the gargle to open the door with no handle mm -hmm. and there's a loose brick. And so, like, the basic stuff. Like, everybody remembers the hamster. That's why I decided that for the title. Like that is one thing that defines. Like, I can't think of another game where you could put a, a hamster in a microwave. I can't. No. Maybe Zach McCracken. I don't know. I don't know. Again, I don't want to. Uh, yeah, I, I can think of one, but I won't say it. Okay. Ooh. That's mysterious. It is mysterious. Right there. Purposely yeah. mysterious. And if you listen to this, okay, let's say no more. No more clues. But yes, no there more is clues. A game where you can do yes. That. Um, okay. So go ahead. Yeah. So you. So how did you blow up the mansion? 
So uh, I'm trying to get to the bottom of the pool, mm. drained the drained the water from the pool, and then stupidly walked with that same character that drained the water from the pool. Stupidly walked with that character to the pool, grabbed the key, looked at all everything that was down there, saw the red button that said like "Do not push," yeah. and I was like, "I wonder what that does." Probably blows <laughs> up the house. Um, and then tried to walk back to the uh the spigot or whatever to turn it off not the spigot the turn on turn the the put the water back on mm-hmm. and the house blew up yeah. so uh which was hilarious i mean the the fact that you can go in there and be like we're gonna rescue dave's girlfriend and they just nuclear blast yep they just blow up the house i did the button on purpose just to see it uh, on the commodore 64 version um, nice <laughs> that's cool did you run into any no-win situations no so Doing that through once, um, I had Razor and Bernard, and I picked the same group again the next time. Uh, I did steal Weird Ed's hamster, mm-hmm. um, but then I gave it back to him because yep. I was like, kind of want to see what his room looks like. Uh, I didn't attempt to microwave said hamster. Uh, what I tried to do was the meteor police solution, mm-hmm. um, where you call you know, some alien police force that will come and like punish the sentient meteor and take it away. And then you can go into the secret lab. Uh, but I kept screwing it up. I actually had to call them like three times, uh, until I realized you have to have not just the secret lab door open. You have to have that open. You have to unlock the dungeon door and have that open. Mm -hmm. So not just pushing the loose key or the loose brick. Mm -hmm. And then you have to have somebody pushing the gargoyle to open that door. And just to be safe, I had the front door open too. So I was like, there's a draft (laughs) all the way from the front door into the secret lab. There is no way that the the meteor police cannot come. But I spent so long. I have the poor people watching the stream. They're probably like, is this guy playing the game? Uh, I just stood there like waiting for the meteor police trying to awkwardly talk and be entertaining. Because it takes, I, that's the media. That's a, that's one of two I always do, which is the meteor police. And you really, I think you only have to have the doors to the dungeon open because that's what they said. They actually say, mm-hmm. make sure the door to the dungeons open, um, which is of course the two padlocks with the glowing key, and then the interior door that you need the code for. Um, right. So which is have, what I did, d- uh, dude. But the guy did not show up. It right? takes legitimately five to six minutes. Like no, I actually got I waited up and got a like, snack and came back and then <laughs> they did and eventually show up. I waited for like a long, I don't know how much long it's all like documented, right? Like there's a video so I could go back and watch. That's I funny. felt like I waited for a long time and then I called them again and they were like, this time make sure the freaking door is open. And I was like, okay, oh. to be safe, I'm going to open up everything. Okay. Uh, and then, or no, I think I, I think the second time I didn't open everything. The third time I was like, he's, I calls him and he's like, uh, he's like, this is the last time I'm coming. Yeah. They will not come after a third time. Yeah. They won't come after a third time. Yep. Yeah. In which case I would have been like, I'm out. I don't know like what else to do here. Uh, So I opened everything and he came. Maybe I got lucky. Maybe I just happened to have all the stuff open. It's possible. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. There's like a rusty key that you can get to unlock like the dungeon door on the right side, I guess. Mm-hmm. So that's what I had to get, um, at least on the NES version. So maybe it's a version difference thing, too. What was the other ending uh, that you know how to get? So you did the Meteor Police one? I did Meteor Police. Um, the other one is, I, I think, probably one of the most iconic is when you actually take the Meteor and then sh- put him in the trunk of the Edsel and then blast him into space. 
Um, I've never done that. It's great. That sounds amazing. That, that is the, the, I don't know. I don't know if one's canonical or not, but that is my favorite. Uh, essentially, you go through the whole scenario, and instead of having the meteor police take the meteor away, you go through, um, get past Purple Tentacle, as as you normally would do, and then, and I believe you, I forget how you do it without the badge, though. I'm trying to think. But anyway, you get past Purple Tentacle, right? Um, you, the best way of doing that is, in, is enlist Weird Ed's help. If you find his commando package and his plans, he'll come in and take out the Purple Tentacle and chase him away. And then it's just a matter of going across where Sandy is, removing the removing the meteor. Of course, you have to put on the radiation suit. You need the card key, which you can get once you get the hamster. Use the card key and the radiation suit to go into the chamber where the meteor is. You actually just pick up meteor. Just pick them up. <laughs> and you just walk around with the meteor in your hands for, you have two minutes to do this. You go to the garage. You use, I think it's the yellow key to open the trunk. Put them in the trunk. Close the trunk and then ignite the Edsel, and it comes into a cutscene where you just hear the and the Edsel is just shooting straight up into space like a rocket. And then the final cutscene is the, uh, the meteor going wee as he hurtles into space. And that's how, of course, <laughs> you break the spell for Dr. Fred, and he will then, of course, punch in the code to stop the self destruct sequence. And yay, hooray, you win. Um, but I yes. love that, it's so funny and silly. Um, I, I did the this time around. I did the moon, the meteor police. I did hit a no win situation though. Oh, you did? I did. I did. It's funny because I didn't think you could, but evidently you can. And I did just naturally. My first playthrough, for some reason, like you, I remembered a lot of it, but some stuff I just couldn't remember. So I'm using context clues and figuring it out. And there's a item you get: the paint remover. Now you're supposed to use the paint remover in the room with the mandating plant. Paint remover right. removes the paint. You see the door. Use the door. That gets into the wires where you have to fix the wires, I believe. Yes, that's where the wires are. And then you, if you fix the wires, you power up the arcade. Uh, Dr. Fred plays an arcade game, and one of the high scores is the code to the secret lab. Mm -hmm. Um, I used the paint thinner on something else. (laughs) Oh. I used it. I got up to where the safe is and above uh, above, uh, Nurse Edna's room. And there's that safe, and there's a there's a uh, a code that's kind of scrawled out. I still don't know how you're supposed to read that code. Like I'm assuming there's a magnifying glass somewhere, but I couldn't find anything. So for some reason, I used the paint remover on that, thinking like, well, maybe the paint remover removes the smudges, right? Now this is the interesting logic, right? That's a logic puzzle. Let me give that a try. It wastes it. It <gasps> it goes away. So when you when you use it, the game says, well, that was a waste. <laughs> And that's it. That's it. I'm done. I'm boned because I don't have any other way to. I need the code to the interior door to call the meteor police. I need the code to get in there. I there's no real other way to get in there. There is someone can stop me, but I believe depending on the configuration you have, um, if you have like Wendy, for example, you probably could do the manuscript, which then gets the meteor out of there because it comes famous, etc. But with my configuration, I couldn't. I was stuck. I had to start over. Wow. So. If I if I was listening properly, right? You you were looking for the uh, the number for the meteor police, which I found on a wanted poster next to yes. the radio. No, right? I was actually looking for the code to the safe. Oh, okay, because it's right point. below it, but it was scra- it was like scribbled out, so I'm, it was really mm-hmm. tiny. That's what Bernard said. So I tried to go up there, with Bernard, because he's wearing glasses. So I'm thinking maybe he has glasses. He can see it. He can't. 
So I'm, again, I'm wondering if you, I don't really know how to get that code. Um, hmm. Maybe there's a magnifying glass. Perhaps somewhere. I don't. I don't remember. Um, I think I might have just looked it up at some point. <laughs> just like yeah. I don't know how to get this yeah. damn thing because yeah. you need the quarter in there to play the game to get the to get the code for the door. So, but um, yes. So that's that, that's tricky right there, and it begs a question. Uh, you know how any of us solve this as as a kids i don't know. You know i really don't know yeah because i i don't remember i mean i remember playing a lot of maniac mansion uh once i found out the nes version existed definitely but i don't recall like beating it as a as a youngster not until it, yeah. later in life yeah i know i beat it as a again i was probably i guess it was 1990 you said so i was probably at yeah. that point yeah i was 10 or 11 um but I, I definitely beat it for sure. My brother and I both. Maybe it was just collaborating. Like, oh, this is this thing works here. This thing works there. Maybe there was a Nintendo Power special that told me the answers. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, probably definitely that. a different world than today. Like, like while on live stream, I had like a loose walkthrough open. Yeah, because you know I'm not gonna be like, well, I don't know what to do. Bye. You're trying you to know? be entertaining. You know, <laughs> you're trying yeah, to maintain, exactly. Like, <laughs> maintain a flow of play that's entertaining for others to see. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. So I was like, if I get stuck, at least I can kind of consult this. Yeah. But back before internet days, no, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Was- and to regale you with tales, I mean, we had dinosaurs and volcanoes, but we didn't have this darn internet. No, we didn't. We had, we, had, we had a playground with like-minded children who were all trying to figure it out. It was a communal, yeah. communal experience. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, apparently they tried to work around creating no win situations. Um, but with so many characters and so many items and so many puzzles, there are definitely ways that you can sort of lock yourself yeah. out, I guess. And your kids can be um, killed as well, which is I've never intentionally killed the kid. Um, so if you kill all three, you get a game over. It is possible. I was watching a, a run through last night of endings and sure enough, there is a way you can kill all three kids and get a proper game over. So, and which version is that on? I read that you could, like, if a, if a kid dies, you replace them with somebody that you didn't select? No, I don't think so. No? Nope. Okay, maybe that was the NES version. No, it's, it just shows up, you know, a little gravestone at the side of the house. <laughs> yeah, they, they, get, they made an actual, like, tombstone. Yeah, the it's a little, little, it's that a they little tombstone. And you can still, if you go into your select kid, like new kid, and pick someone, if you pick the deceased, it just shoots right to that tombstone and plays his song. <laughs> <laughs> like, they're there. They're there. They're there. They're just six feet down. They're there. They're there. That's funny. Yeah. Uh, I think one way that you could get some killed is take the hamster uh and then microwave it and then take the remains and give it to uh weird ed apparently he flies into a rage he kills you uh yep yeah i've not tried that neither have i i uh actually did i i can't remember if i did because i heard i didn't realize and this again this is something i just didn't know i didn't know you could kill the hamster i didn't know that was a thing because you must have a rocker either sid or um razor they can do it. I don't think everybody can do it. Um, oh, because the musicians are the only ones that have like right, the stomach because, for it. Right, because you know, you know, since high school, all the musicians are are, are unless you're in marching cool, band, edgy all these dudes, cool edgy dudes. <laughs> unless yeah. you're marching band, unless, yeah. <laughs> unless you're playing the tuba in the uh, brass ensemble, you're you're not cool enough to microwave a hamster. I never did that because I never ran with those characters. So I don't even know if I attempted. And then of course on Twitter, I see, oh yeah, microwave the hamster. I'm like, what? So I sure what? enough, I use my my character and I use razor and I and bloof blood splatter on the on the 
on the uh, microwave door, and I was shocked. My mouth hit the floor like, oh, you can actually That's microwave crazy. the hands. So then I took a screenshot of it and put it on Twitter like, I I, I didn't know you could do this. <laughs> but I clearly saw that. It was amazing. I yeah. didn't realize. And uh, yes, he'll fly into a rage. Another way you can die is if you um, get the recording contract, if you're Sid or Razor, and you keep it as opposed to give it to Green Tentacle and then show it that it's yours as opposed to his. And he Ooh. flies into a rage and, and kills you. I may be wrong. And if this causes you to punch your device of choice, you're hearing this on, I apologize. But I believe if you play, if you create a tape of the, of the, of the, uh, of that tinny tone that's supposed to smash all the, uh, smash all the vases, oh, the glass, yeah, the glass yeah. smashing thing. That's actually the tentacle mating call. If you play that on green tentacles um, system as a cassette, he will fly into a rage and evidently, according to the notes I read, actually tries to mate with you and in the process kills you. So green Whoa. tentacle. Yeah. Yeah. Probably I don't, not in the NES version. I don't know. I don't I don't know. That was definitely a C sixty four thing. I, I think I read that. So if I read that somewhere, it must be true. Um but yeah, that's right. yeah. I mean and then what, that's what, pretty amazing. I haven't yeah. heard of that one. Yeah, because the a, one that I yeah. had heard of was uh you could drain the pool. And then leave a kid in it and then refill the pool. Yes. And it'll actually, it'll, I mean, I guess none of them can swim. So yeah. Well, it's also, radio, it's also radioactive water. So I think. Oh, that's true. Yeah, that's true. You're right. It's probably conducting <clears throat> electricity. So yeah. Yikes. And there's, yeah, there's the reactor right there. So maybe it's like superheated as well. Mm-hmm. And then the one other way too, I didn't realize until I was watching endings last night was um, if you take a glass jar full of radioactive water and microwave it. And this is how you can kill any kid. Um, actually, it's almost like a suicide thing. Once you open the door, it's radioactive steam, and they kind of spin around and die because you turn the radioactive water into radioactive steam. And you can do that with any kids. So that is how you can get all three kids dead and get that game over. I need to try that now because I've never – I I wonder I didn't know it was a if thing. that's on the NES version. I don't wow. know. I didn't know – I don't. Yeah, again, I don't know what version they were referring to, but yeah, I'm pretty sure you can do it on either one. Wow. I definitely need to try that. There which is amazing that there's so much in this game. Uh and it's so it's it's been around for so long. Yet there are still things that surprise us about it. Uh and I'm assuming, you know, other players too. There are some people out there who are like I know everything about me. Oh yeah. And they, yeah, <laughs> I'm sure I mean, they do. Yeah. <laughs> but for a lot of people, I mean there's still things in this game that can surprise We interrupt this self-indulgent conversation to bring you a promo segment. Let me take a moment to tell you about Bifrost Bridge Studios, a transmedia company closing the gap between the human and the automatic. Bifrost creates expressive games, original stories, including The Bunker Adventure and Gaia's Seed, plus fan art and fiction all infused with neurodiversity, community outreach, inclusivity, and the beauty of nature. With an emphasis on a utopian future held high by the hopes of children, Bifrost's RPG slash graphic novel is a fascinating and refreshing ongoing project that is well-designed, well-executed, beautifully imagined, and very much worth your time. To learn more, please check out Bifrost's links in the podcast description. Don't miss the ambitious scope of Bifrost's work. Another thing to note about the puzzle design. Uh, beyond just the humor and the quirkiness and in some cases the gruesomeness of the puzzles uh they emphasize non-sadistic 
puzzle design. Uh, Lucasfilm programmer David Fox said in the making of Maniac Mansion, it was Ron Gilbert's idea that a game should be fun to play and shouldn't punish you for trying something you might do in the real world. For example, and one of those games referring to like the Sierra Mm -hmm. King's Quest games, picking up a piece of broken mirror could kill you. You'll bleed to death. I know that in the real world, I can successfully pick up a broken piece of mirror without dying. Designing this type of gameplay struck Ron as sadistic behavior on the part of the programmers who were also artificially trying to lengthen the game by having lots of obvious or non-obvious ways to die. Also, co-creator and artist Gary Winnick added, Ron felt that its internal logic still had to support the suspension of disbelief based on a consistent set of rules. Stupid adventure game surprise death, where you just had to expect it around every corner, then learn by dying not to do that again when you loaded your saved game, didn't make any sense to us. It was one thing if you stood under the exhaust of a rocket as a countdown was clicking away. It was another thing entirely if you're walking along minding your own business and a 16-ton weight randomly drops out of the sky onto your head. Uh, Chris BG 99 said more succinctly, uh, I'd say that Maniac Mansion is harder than Day of the Tentacle, but the leaps in logic never get to the same absurdity as Sierra. Were you ever a big King's Quest fan? I never was because for that exact reason, I thought they were just unfair. My brother really liked them uh, for some weird reason. And he he really dug the King, King's Quest series. For me, it was just too, um, too obtuse, just too... Everything was just so very esoteric. Um, what's beautiful about Maniac Mansion is all of the logic puzzles puzzles make sense, and it, when you when you do crack the code by just pushing at the edges, it, it, there's always an aha moment. So even if, like for example, I forgot how to um, get the get the man eating plant to get up to the hatch to get up to where the telescope is, I just forgot. So I had to look it up. I'm like, I don't. I'm a I'm a grown man with kids. I can't sit here and push at this thing forever. Right. And when I find out you have to put the radioactive water in, it's like, oh, okay, that makes sense. So I never felt right. cheated in not knowing something. I felt like, eh, I just didn't get it. I never, ever in Maniac Mansion have that moment of, oh, screw you, game. Really? Really? Right. Come on. Right, right. How would I have ever gotten that? That never happens in this game, which is beautiful. Such a triumph. Right. I think that the difficulty comes from the kinds of items that are there mm-hmm. and the surreal setting that you're in and the surreal settings in which you apply those items. But I have to agree, it's not at all uh, absurd, uh, especially compared to Sierra. And that's coming from somebody who growing up with the King's Quest games, playing all of them and and loving them. King's Quest 3 to Air is Humans, my favorite, where you're the wizard's apprentice. Uh you're typing things out. I thought it was hilarious that you could type kick cat. And that's why I <laughs> grew into a psychopath apparently as an adult. Uh, but there were things in that where like the wizard shows up and he's like, ah, now you're a snail. And I'm like, okay, well now I can't move or do anything meaningful. I guess I'll reset the game. Well, it also requ- snooping around. It requires you when, when those things happen. And this is, I think what, um, what Ron Gilbert would probably say, and probably what you were saying in that quote you read, is that when you do, when you have to reset your game and reload a save, there's one of two things occurring, or it's two things occurring. A, you're saving every chance you get. Every time you succeed mm-hmm. at something, you're saving. Just constantly saves coming. 
um, which breaks you out of the game. It breaks you out of the flow of the game. And secondly, when you have to reload, you have to do things again. And in an adventure game, once you know the solution, there's nothing additive in doing it again. It's not like a platform game where you can get better and get better through repetition. Once I know the radioactive water makes the plant grow big, I don't need to do that again, right? So mm-hmm. giving you the opportunity to learn these things through context and actually using your brain, the puzzles aren't as hard. And I kind of agree with, with Chris. It's prob- The puzzles aren't as hard. Um, oh, he actually says harder. I actually disagree then. I don't think the puzzles are as hard as Day of the Tentacle. Day of the Tentacle has some weird ones that are tricky and really require a lot of lateral thinking and really use your logic Interesting. Brain. But um, – I don't in this in Maniac Mansion it's so trim and they they give you everything you need and there's not a lot of item chaff either. I don't remember there being like items because a lot of venture games there's stuff you pick up you don't even use you don't even need. Um, nothing like that in Maniac Mansion. The only time you get that is if you pick up like the manuscript and you don't have Wendy. Well, that's now a piece of chaff. But that's not because the game trying to trick you with red herrings. It's more about you know you just don't have the character that utilizes it. Right, and understanding what each character's strength right, would right. play toward that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, it's 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 definitely something that I think Maniac Mansion uh stands out among adventure games and point and click adventure games. Um in that it's trim is a nice word. I mean, I think it's a really concise game. What did somebody told me that like the speed run on this is like six minutes. Oh, I can see or it. Or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I can see like, it. Like mm-hmm. and you could totally I mean, that's fast. But you could get through this game fairly quickly uh, in a short amount of time if you knew exactly what you're doing. And there are obviously people that know exactly what they're doing. Uh, I think that's, you know, if you talk about esoteric, like uh, a Tim Schafer game that I really liked, uh, Grim Fandango. Mm -hmm. Um, Another double fine game was uh, Broken Age. Mm -hmm. I loved those games, but there were absolutely moments where I was like, okay, this solution doesn't make any sense to me. Even when I looked it up online, I was like, that's the solution. I mean, I guess, sure, you know, yeah. like whatever I need to do to progress on to the next section. But that moment didn't make sense to me either in my world or in the game's logic. That's a definite uh, flaw in terms of the design of the game and its logic. Yeah, Grim Fandango, people forget how much of a pain that game is to play. I played it for the <laughs> first time maybe a year and a half, two years ago, and I tried to do it without a walkthrough, trying to do it spoiler-free, and the flavor of that game is so great. It's so oh, funny. it's amazing, yeah. The characters are good. There's lots of pathos and just really phenomenal. I loved it. But man, some of those puzzles make no damn sense. Like, there's no chance. And that's what I was saying about playing a game where you're like, oh, come on, come on, game. Really? There's no way I would have ever gotten that without looking it up. And um, Manic Mansion has very little of that. really is. It really does. Uh, There's a forest clearing puzzle in Grim Fandango where you have to find like this exact spot in order to open up like a secret door. And that was the first moment in Grim Fandango where it's like, okay, I can't proceed without looking this up, without consulting somebody else. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, I I friggin' adored Grim Fandango. I think it's one of like the most creative and funniest games that I've ever played in my life. That's wonderful. Um, But there are definitely puzzles in there that make no sense at all. Um, So before we get on here, I did want to stop and talk about the adventure genre. For just a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, it ca- it pops up most often 
when I have the uh, the laborious conversation of is Zelda an RPG, <laughs> 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 which for some reason keeps popping up. Um, and I, I I'm sarcastic and laborious. It is a fun, especially if you're talking with somebody fun and is who is honest about their thoughts and willing to pursue their thoughts and the other person's thoughts as far as they go. Um, but it, it does come up and often is Zelda an RPG series. Is it not? My personal view is Zelda two is an RPG, mm-hmm. uh, or at the very least an action RP or an action game with RPG elements. But as a whole, I believe that the Zelda series is an action adventure series. And typically when talking with folks about this and bill, I will let you talk here in a minute. I swear <laughs> to fine. goodness that, it's have, fine. Uh, that I think that when people say Zelda's an RPG, they're just overlooking the adventure genre. Mm-hmm. And so I try and talk about the origins of the adventure genre. I'll bring up maniac mansion. I'll bring up, you know, the game adventure that has it in the title <laughs> and say adventure, you know, this process of, you know, item acquisition might have to do with puzzles, um, but it's more exploration rather than systems focus. Typically that conversation always comes down to, well, what is an RPG, right? And so if you go the route of, well, an RPG is anything in which you play a role, then my favorite RPG is Super Mario Brothers 3. (laughs) (laughs) Doesn't make my favorite RPG is Splatoon. If you ask somebody, what's your favorite RPG? And they tell you freaking Mega Man X, you would look at them like they were an idiot because nobody uses that in, in, in the common consensus in the way in which our language works and our terms work and our, our nomenclature, our taxonomy in video games. Nobody thinks in those terms. Right. And you, I've met a couple people that might be, well, that's just how I think of it. I'd be like, well, that's nonsense essentially. Cause you have a term that only you can use. Right. And, and it's just a, your term that doesn't mean anything to anybody then. But if we're going to have language, if we're going to have shared categorization and taxonomy, then We have to figure out what is like the general use of these terms. So I said a lot there. Bill. Yes. (laughs) Say something. I'm like, save me from myself. No, I I agree with you on the, on the RPG thing. And when you said Zelda, or you say, talk about the Zelda games. I, the first thing I thought of was action adventure game. That's, that's what that Mm -hmm. game with games are. So I agree with you. Um, When it comes to this conversation about like RPGs and whether or not, you know, Zelda's an RPG, what, what is, and what's not. It's, it's it's very much so along the lines of what you said. You have to define your terms first. So what are right. define our terms, right? What makes up an RPG, and we have to agree on those terms before we can have the conversation. Because again, like you what said, is and isn't. Yeah, yeah it, what are what are the elements of an RPG? And you can't state elements that sign, uh, substantiate your argument, right? So you can't just say, "Well, you have to take the role of a character." Well. That's all of them. So like you said, right. Uh, great. Super it's a Metroid. self-defeating. It's a self-defeating argument at right. that point, nearly every game on the planet. And I even, I even threw that on somebody who said, you know, a role-playing game is any game in which you play a role. I said, okay, well, you know, like what's, what's differences between like, can we think of a game in which, in which you don't play a role? Because then at that point they were like, sure, every game is an RPG. I'm willing to go to, a ridiculous length to basically win the debate that Zelda is an RPG because everything is an RPG. Right. Uh, and we got to Tetris and like, there's no role in Tetris. So they're like, well, you're the player, you're the role. 
I was like, so anything, anything, ever, that even goes anything. even further. It doesn't even have characters. Literally any game that you could possibly play. I think like with an RPG, an RPG. I think like an RPG, like you have to, this might get a little far afield, but like with an RPG, you have to look at where it came from, right? So where, what are the base elements of it? Like it came from D&D. So what's part of D&D? You have stat building, right? There's a bit of randomization to it. There's... So you kind of go through and say, all right, what are the elements? And then does a game have those elements or not? And I think Zelda 2 is a good example. It's definitely like an action RPG because you have leveling, you have experience, you have you have some uh you have some autonomy in how you build your character, like what spells to get and things like that. I believe, right. or less I forget if you have autonomy on that. But um yeah, so I, I think the adventure game, what to go back to kind of Maniac Mansion is point and click adventure implies a a quest or a game that has a quest or a mission involved where you take the take uh, the role of a character and utilizing a certain set of verbs, you go on a quest to achieve missions and do so in a more of a story-based way as opposed to like, I wouldn't call Galaga an adventure game because even though you are controlling a ship and shooting things and doing action, you're not engaging in a story, you're not pushing a narrative forward. So I think in that context, that's where kind of the adventure game goes. It's that... It's that combination of story and having agency in um, in a game. And just point-and-click adventure is just a subset of that, where you're just utilizing a point-and-click interface to control characters, solve puzzles, and do actions. So, Yeah. I mean, it certainly has to do with emphasis. The difficulty with defining what is RPG is it seems like RPG is defined by its elements. Uh, it's defined by... a a, a, a set of systems. So it's difficult to say, well, an RPG is just experience points. Right. Okay. What about vagrant story? What about monster hunter? What about Symphony these games? Symphony that... of the night. Exactly. Yeah. Which, you know, some of some, some RPGs you do have experience points, some you don't, but then that's why there needs to be some consensus on what are the generalities of uh, what are the sets yeah. of systems that are included in, in an RPG. So to leave aside RPG, uh, what are the sets of systems or what is the defining trait of the adventure? And I think you nailed it. You know, they got a sense of exploration. Mm -hmm. It's definitely Zelda. Uh, item acquisition to mm -hmm. unlock and sort of like it kind of bridges into like the Metroidvania thing. But this past discussion that I had with uh, a beautiful person that i love uh duct tape plays actually i have no idea what he looks like but <laughs> he's a he's a great person to talk with um and uh and iron who is amazing formerly iron mage uh russell gordon uh we had a lot of fun talking about this stuff and uh i i mean i kind of remained resolute on what my view is on this mm -hmm. but an eye-opening moment was how much overlap there is and how much like adjacency there is between adventure and uh you know the action adventure starts to fuse things up and then you, you can have action adventure games with rpg elements and then you can have action rpgs that might have some adventure elements yeah. and so over time i think we've seen so many cross genre games that it becomes more difficult to sort of parse out um but it's definitely it's definitely an interesting thing where it comes back to to maniac mansion though is if you're unsure of what an adventure game is, here is a point-and-click graphic adventure game. Yeah. And I don't know too many people. I don't, Actually, I don't know anybody 
Uh, they might be out there, but I don't know anybody who would say Maniac Mansion is my favorite RPG. Yeah, I don't know. No, I doubt it. I, I again, I think, and I think there is a certain amount of common sense you also have to, you know, have with that, right? Like, obviously, I don't say obviously, unless you're trying to make an argument that doesn't exist. I don't think any sensible person would say Maniac Mansion is an RPG. I think adventure game is point and click adventure game is the, you know, correct nomenclature for that. So, yeah, I mean, and I've talked to some people on Twitter for sure that are willing to say like anything to win a debate. Yes, uh, like anything. Twitter's a strange I mean, place. Well, Twitter's it a- is a strange place, and I get that you know there's facelessness, there's anonymity, so people just are willing to go to that extreme. Um, so if I foisted that on somebody is Maniac Mansion an RPG, they might just say yes. Um, but that would create a lot of difficulties. So anyway, anyway, leaving aside genre comedy, Mm. dying is easy. Comedy is hard. Maniac Mansion, as we said earlier, developed humor, helped develop humor in video games, particularly graphic adventures. Uh, and I think going on, you know, obviously King's Quest alongside of it, but here competing with Sierra's games, uh, Lucasfilm games, uh, Lucasfilm creating lots of humorous and quirky and whimsical games. Um, Zombies Ate My Neighbor is one of my all-time favorites. Uh, so I think that definitely post-Maniac Mansion, the the graphic adventure, especially point-and-click graphic adventure, takes a lot of cues mm-hmm. from comedy. But Bill, what is comedy? Like, Ooh. what is it? What does it mean to be funny? Like, what it, what does that mean? It's wow. So firstly, before we get into that, I just want to make one shameful admission. One. Sure. Just one shameful admission. One. Go ahead. I've never <laughs> I've never played Zombies Ate My Neighbors. Oh my god. I've gosh, never played Bill. it. I know. People adore that game. I've never played it. So I need okay, to Okay, Bill, it's this. on Switch. It's on Switch, I think. Oh, and PS4. They just recently re-released it. Okay. Let yeah. us pray that it has online co-op uh, <laughs> we'll have to do that if it does yeah well we'll figure that out another time cool uh that would be a lot of fun yeah great game though yeah i've never touched it again it's one of those i've people adore and love and it just i don't know just never flew by uh as far as comedy goes um it's interesting when i saw this kind of pop up on the on the screen i, I thought about it and comedy is so so hard i used to do film reviews um it was my first foray into writing or film reviews and i did it for almost a decade for different sites wow. and publications and such and i always loathe having to write a review of comedy because it's so subjective because what makes mm-hmm. one person laugh make can maybe may not make another person laugh setting mm-hmm. If I'm in a theater full of people and everyone's laughing, I'm going to laugh too because it's infectious. That's what comedy is. It's a group shared experience. If I'm sitting at home watching it on my on my TV, I may not laugh as much, right? Because I'm not mm-hmm. engaged in that shared experience. Um, so comedy is so hard to, to judge and create. Um, mm-hmm. My thing with comedy is when I was doing reviews was, all right, what's the craft behind it? And the craft, again, getting down to the objective bits and pieces of what makes something work. Timing, love it. Love what it. you know, the comic <laughs> timing, um, the yes. way something is crafted. Um, what I love about Maniac Mansion is that it's very similar to Earthbound, and you and I talked about Earthbound for a gamer looks at forty, where um, we were kind of agreed that Earthbound creates a humorous world in which characters live in, um, as opposed to like telling jokes. And Maniac Mansion yes. is does the exact same thing. They create a humorous world with interesting characters that 
just by being in the world or in that mansion, funny things happen. It's kind of like if you listen to a comedy album, right? If I listen to a Patton Oswalt album, I listen to it the first time. It's funny. I'm laughing. Third, second, third, fourth time, not laughing as much, smiling. By the 10th time, it's just there. And once you get to the 10th time with comedy, that's when the craft comes in. That's when you start appreciating the meter of the joke, the rhythm in which the comedian says it, the timing, the the beats in between the the lines, like all the craft that happens with comedy, because there's a lot of it. Um, I mean, it's it's the it's the only art form you you craft in person. If you talk to mm. comedians, they'll say, "I can only do so much on a laptop. I have to work this stuff out with an audience because I don't know how it works unless I get that feedback." You know, you don't get mm. that with a musician. You know, a, a, an author doesn't get to try out you know three chapters with somebody hey is this working um right so comedy is so hard because it's so subjective um you have to get to the craft of it so what maniac mansion does even though i've heard um dave call bernard a tuna head a hundred times it's still humorous not gonna be funny and not be laughing out loud ha, ha, ha. but it's definitely humorous because it's in this context it's in this world that's been created and crafted to have these funny things appear. And it seems normal. Like it's, it's perfectly normal to feed the the plant radioactive water and have it grow seven feet in the air. Like that's a funny thing, but it's humor is a vibe. It's a field. It's like a cloud. If that makes any sense at all. It certainly does Where, a pervasive yeah. sort of presence. Yes. Yeah. It's a, it's a, yeah, it's a pervasive presence. That's a good way of putting it. It's, it's just a, a world in which, uh, again, you put characters into this world and then funny things happen organically. And once you've played it 15, 20 times, it's still humorous. It still makes you chuckle. It still gives you a smile as opposed to a joke that a lot of things try to make jokes and jokes may land or may not. Humor is less subjective because it's crafted more. It's the nuts and bolts are are purposely put there to create a humorous experience. That is one of the most brilliant unpackings of what is comedy, what is funny uh, that I've, that I've heard. I mean, I Thank felt you. bad earlier. No, it's great, dude. I mean, I could tell this is why I put it in the notes. I, knew <laughs> I was talking to dude. Uh, so I like earlier when I asked, like, what is your favorite joke? Like, and I, to be quite honest, like I felt a little dirty asking that's that question because like joke, joke, like with finger quotes, your favorite joke, the game doesn't really tell jokes. Right. In the sense of like, hey, what happens, you know, when uh, a rabbi, a priest and an, and like, you know, a fish walk right. into a bar, you know, it, and there's no in that sense, like a punchline at the end of like a three act joke. It's humorous, though, and I love that you make that distinction there, that there's a difference between humorous and that quality of being humorous and funny. Um, and also you know, you're acknowledging something that I think needs to be acknowledged more consistently within fields of art, uh, is that the artist has sort of like the, the intangibles, right? Like the talent, the, the, the time and the, the randomness of it all, the, the randomness of life, if you will, mm -hmm. uh, and the moods of, of himself or herself and the, the audience as well, the sort of the subjective things. And then at the same time has the craft. Yeah. So like speaking with somebody previously, uh, they're like comedy is subjective. No, everything, everything in comedy is subjective. And I asked them, what then do you think is the difference between a career comic and my dad's mm -hmm. jokes? 
Ah, that's a good point. Because my dad's jokes might be funny to like my family, especially if a lot of us are around. If you want to talk about presents, like you've, we've all been with friends and like just laughing for no reason. We've all been up at like two in the morning at like a party or a family gathering or with friends, whatever. And just like laughing at nothing. Yeah. Like somebody pointed out that guy's nose looks weird in that commercial and yep. can't stop laughing. That totally has to do with the subjective, <laughs> the subjectivity of the combination of those people being there and their moods and yeah. you know, the time of day and all that. But somebody couldn't make that same joke. Look at that guy's nose in that commercial as a career comic in front of an audience, just consistently like that's their shtick. You look at that guy's nose over and over. Look at that guy's nose coming to Vegas this weekend. Like you can't just make that your shtick. So career comics, absolutely. They have to refine their craft. They get better at their craft mm -hmm. over time yep. because that's what artists do as craftsmen, as craftswomen, as craftspeople, yes. if you will. Mm -hmm. They, uh, they get better at what they do over time through, Habit Working at it. practice. Right. And then another example of that is an easy example is two people can tell the same joke and one works and one doesn't. Mm. Right. Yeah. So, and now, so the, the words of the joke could be exactly the same, but the craft of it is how you deliver that joke, um, which will make someone laugh or someone doesn't. And that is just through practice. Like if you, again, I could, I have jokes I've told, I have my, I have a, I have like a, you know, a staple of like jokes I used to tell all the time. And, you know, and I, I know how to tell it to make somebody laugh. I know the beats, the rhythms, the little inside the things, pauses. You, the pauses, yeah. all the stuff that, that, that you craft, right? You build, but then you get on, you know, you do a radio show because I, I did radio all through college and, and stuff. And that's instantaneous funny. Like you have to be, you have to be humorous. It's a different thing. You're not crafting anything. You're just flying off the seat of your pants, just making jokes, making people laugh, creating a humorous environment. All right. That's why if you listen to bad uh, morning zoo radio, nothing's funny because everything's so they're <laughs> trying to manufacture all these jokes. They're trying to make jokey things and jokey bits right. where you listen and to I like, think yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say briefly, I think that there's some people that have attempted to capitalize on that. Like if you think about like cringy humor, mm -hmm. cringy humor is just trying to be meta about bad comedians essentially. Um, so like I'm playing a game right now, World of Final Fantasy, that's trying to be real cutesy with its humor. The main character mispronounces everybody's name or he says uh, it kind of rhymes with this or he'll just make these really terrible punny asides. And then the game points that out with another character to be like, ignore him. He fell on his head or he's just an idiot or something like that. And that's just doing that over and over again, expecting the cringe factor to be the punchline right. is something that I think only works for a specific amount of people, but statistically is unreliable. Yeah. And that's a good way of putting it. It's unreliable. Um, and that again, that's like why, like while radio is very hard to do because again, you have to be off the seat of your pants and you have to create this humorous environment. That's why the best radio shows, you know, depending on what you're feeling like Howard Stern and such, they were great because they created a humorous environment for funny people to come in and just be funny or just be interesting. Mm -hmm. And that's what they did. And it was never jokey. It was just interesting and fun. So comedy is hard because it is, of all the art forms, extremely subjective. Because again, mm -hmm. one thing will tickle someone, that same thing won't. And there's so much filtering that goes on. That's why you have to look mm -hmm. at the craft. And that's what made reviewing comedy films so hard for me. Because again – 
it, it context is everything. Again, you see a movie in the theater with a bunch of people. If everyone's laughing, man, you're laughing too because it's infectious. It's fun. That's what laughter is. See that in your in your house, you know, at two in the afternoon on a Tuesday, trying to get this done for a deadline. <laughs> it's like God, I gotta get this done by tonight. Not as funny. It's campy. Yeah. So absolutely, absolutely campy. That's a good word. Uh, and those things can be fun in and of themselves. Like cringe comedy can be fun. But I think there's a craft there as well. Mm-hmm. Cringe comedy, campy comedy. I mean, we've all seen Batman 66. I've watched Batman 66 by myself and been like, this sucks. <laughs> I've watched it with a group of people and just been like, this is one of the best things I've ever seen. So it totally depends on things like mood. Sometimes it hits. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes that has to do with craft. Sometimes that has to do with the person. Um, but I, but do, you know, yeah. so oh, go ahead. No, I was just saying, I, but I do agree with you because even though it depends – there are career comedians and there's funny dads, right? And right. Th- th- there's it's kind of like in poker. It's not like poker is not luck. There's a craft and a skill behind it because that's why you know the same people are always at the final table. There's a skill, and everyone thinks, well, it's just luck. Well, no, there's a skill behind it because if that weren't the case, then you'd have a random selection of people winning the World Series of Poker every year when you don't. Mm-hmm. Um, comedy is the same way. Is there is a craft to it? That's why. Again, like you said, there's career comedians because they've learned how to develop their own style, develop their own voice, use their own experiences. And in a public setting, that's why you go to New York and go to the Comedy Cellar or the Laugh Factory or whatever, and you'll see a famous comedian down there at one in the morning. What they're doing is they're working out new material because they want to try this stuff out in a public setting before they go back to their laptop and refine it and work on it and craft it. So – yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, like you said, you could just repeating a joke word for word is not enough. No. Uh, we've all been there when somebody's like, oh, I got to tell you this great joke. So um, this guy, no, what, what was he? I'm sorry. So this guy, no, I'm jumping ahead. So this guy and it's like you can't. No, that's like you've lost me at this point. Now I'm not in a mood to receive a punchline <laughs> no. at all. And the way that you could see that and that what what popped in my head and I'm sorry. I mean, this is a family friendly podcast, but mm-hmm. I have to mention it. Do not look it up if you're underage. Uh, the aristocrats. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Which if I mean, if you just read the text, you're like, this is friggin atrocious. Like it's like a crime against humanity reading it. But to hear a career musician deliver it. It's night and day so it's almost like and there's no punchline it's almost like it's not in the the joke itself it's not a joke it's the delivery of it entirely and that is the most transparent uh sort of like shtick that i've ever heard in which it's it's all on the delivery of the comedian so i've heard a couple different comedians do it gilbert gottfried with that screaming voice Mm -hmm. that he does doing the aristocrats is hilariously disgusting yeah it is it is and but if i read that aloud people would be like shoot that man (laughs) (laughs) because it's like (laughs) it's pretty heinous i mean i know exactly what you're talking about it's and that's a great thesis on the nature of comedy and that's what the whole point of that is is that you can you know you have 15 people tell the same different joke and it's gonna be different every time and land different um it's it's great now it's it's a good it's a good example for sure just, you know, just nice. Just, just don't really. You shouldn't, though. Listen to it because it's it's heinous, but it's uh right. It is. It's it's, it uh, is. it's funny. It's if you're an adult and you can handle that sort of thing and and you don't mind some some cringy stuff. Do not listen to it with 
anybody underage. Yeah, don't throw that it on is, in the van on the way in the no. In the it school is line. the most no. vulgar, offensive, profane, disgusting joke I've ever heard in it's my pretty life. Pretty bad. But <laughs> when it's delivered, I mean, it's almost like essentially somebody just reading an obituary. Yeah. There's nothing funny about it at all. But the best comedians could read the obituary and be hilarious is sort of the point of that yeah. whole thing. And also and not to get again too far afield uh, on the comedy thing, because we are going to talk about comedy and then horror or comedy slash horror as, as in your notes. Um, that's an interesting line. I have a, you might have heard me mention, well, if you listen to the podcast, you know, I've mentioned them a bunch of times, but my friend Mike, who does a show called Games My Mom Found, and I've been running through, I've been walking through the MCU with them. We watched the entire MCU over the course of this year and a half. We're almost done. Um, I do a lot of stuff with them. And for his Patreon for October, he's letting his patrons choose a horror movie to watch. And he has four choices. I got to pick two and his wife got to pick two. The choices. He hates horror movies. Does not like them. So what do I pick? I'm very nice and sad. His wife picks Nightmare on Elm Street and Poltergeist. Nice, right? Nightmare on Elm Street's great and Poltergeist is great too. I'm a kind soul. So I pick The Witch from 2015, which is just a massive. Oh, that one with like double V? Uh, the, yeah, the yeah. Vich? The Vich, yes. So yeah. I pick The Vich and then I pick Reanimator. Which is oh yeah from 1983's, 1983's Lovecraft uh, uh, Reanimator, and I didn't think anyone would pick Reanimator. I'm like, this is just a throwaway. Reanimator is far and away now the winner so far in this Patreon poll, (laughs) which is going to run through all of September. (laughs) And I feel really bad because because Reanimator is really really gross, really shock value type of 80s schlock. But it's also beautifully made and well-crafted. And I think the conversation is going to be, what's that line between comedy and horror? There are some things in um, Reanimator that are not okay. They're just not. Like, based on the... And have you seen Reanimator? It's been a long time, yeah. but I have seen it. So it's there's stuff in that film that are not okay. And I told him, like, look, there's triggery stuff in here. Like, he's like, well... And his wife is all for it. His wife's rooting for it. His wife's like, oh, Reanimator. Yeah, we're going to watch that. So which I'm like, well, your wife said it's okay. So that's that's it. All right, that, now that's it. But anyway, there's stuff in that movie that's that's not okay. Like in the normative, no normal person would say that this is okay to put on screen. However, in the context of the movie, in this world the filmmakers created, right? Is it okay? Because that's the subject, subjective nature of comedy. And when does it bridge that gap from mm. horror, which is not okay, to comedy, which in a certain context, based on your sensibilities is okay. And where's that line go? And I think it's gonna be a very interesting conversation talking to someone who doesn't like horror movies at all. Hey, was this too much for you? Was it okay? Like where, where was that line? So that, that is interesting. Yeah. Uh, and the reason why I included comedy horror is because maniac mansion is comedy horror. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and there's a lot of great examples. I mean, zombies, Day my neighbors mentioned it earlier, mm-hmm. earlier comedy horror. Um, and there are a lot of great movies too, examples of comedy horror. Um, to my mind though, there's an exact similarity between comedy and horror. So like, what is comedy? What is funny? I think it's surprise. Mm. It's subverted expectations, essentially. At the, like, if you had to say, what is the basic thing at the very bottom of the basement of comedy? It's the same thing at the bottom of the basement of horror, which is surprise, which is subverted expectations. Yeah. So like, if we know a jump scare is coming, you plug your ears. You just look at the screen. You're like, eh, the zombie's going to pop out at the end. Right. That doesn't scare you. But if they delay that a bit and then it happens when you weren't expecting it, 
oh my gosh, pee your pants. Yeah. Same thing with comedy. If the punchline is something that you don't expect, if it's in the format of a joke, or if the humor turns out as something that you don't expect, it 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 generates this different, very different response from horror. Well, sometimes you can pee your pants if you're laughing too hard too. Uh, and there definitely is that that bridge as well. Like I've been to horror movies in theaters and people are laughing. I'd be like, what is funny about this? <laughs> but it's almost the same reaction because they're so close. It has to do with that element of the unexpected. That's awesome. Yeah, man, that's so good. You're right. Because again, I actually screened, I, when I was living in New York, I was uh, I had a friend who uh, owned a bar. She was working a bar, owned a bar, I forget which. Um, actually, there's a pretty wide divide. <laughs> she worked in there, she owned it. I can't remember which. But anyway, she was on the team and they were doing a bad movie night. So she's like, oh, would you want to screen a couple of movies for our bad movie night? And uh, maybe do like a, I think it was like a trivia question, trivia between the two or something. You know, it's whatever. So I screened something and I screened Reanimator. And I, I had never seen Reanimator. I just knew it by, by reputation. And about half an hour in, I'm like, oh, this is not a bad movie. This is a gross movie. This is a lot of fun. <laughs> and I remember laughing, like really laughing at it, even at the horrible, horrible things that are objectively not funny. It's still very funny, but it's. So horror, I think, does tickle the same thing. It's the surprise. You're right. It's it's the surprise yeah. of the unexpected. And Maniac Mansion is a great example of that because I'm sorry. The first time you get captured by by Edna at the refrigerator, if you don't jump, something's wrong. Like because yeah, the way that that and, music pops in, that oh forget it, and and yeah. you're and you're just, like, oh, you're just no. running to the right. Um, the way Maniac Mansion works, your character is usually centered just at, well. Actually, it, it changes based on your position of your character. But in that particular moment, you're kind of in the first third of the screen as you're kind of running forward, you know? Mm-hmm. And as you're running forward, you run full tilt into her and boom, she chases you. And you're guaranteed to get caught, like almost guaranteed because you're not expecting it. That's why I do, right. that's why I do with Dave, get in the basement and let him stay there for the entire game because he's useless. <laughs> um, the dungeon fodder. <laughs> you're right. That's a, that's a great horror. Like That's, that's scary. And you got creatures in the game and you have – uh, zombies and there's there's implied violence and implied gore hmm. yeah yeah yeah, yeah wow. definitely uh so i mean there's since maniac mansion there's certainly been a plethora of movies that uh combine and movies and games that combine comedy and horror uh to great effects sometimes and to lesser effect mm-hmm. like sometimes it's just lowbrow like this is just raunchy it's neither horrifying or funny it's just like almost revolting for the sake of being revolting. Sure. But then sometimes some things can pull that off again to great effect. So to kind of tie up here on our section on comedy, uh, I'm glad we, I think we dug pretty deep there. That, that felt very rewarding. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe name like one, one of your favorite comedians, one of your favorite comedy movies, not reanimator. Can't name that one now. Cause we talked <laughs> about that. One. So a favorite uh, comedian, comedic movie, comedic game. Mm, okay. Do I how do how do I approach this? Let's do comedians first. I I don't okay. listen to. I don't watch a kind. Of, I watch a decent amount of comedy. Um, I used to watch a lot more. Um, uh, it has to be ten years ago. I would rattle off a litany. I'm a big Patton Oswalt fan. Um, mm-hmm. but I like any any comedian that's that's that does that storytells that storytelling style comedy as opposed to punchlines or anything that's a little too jokey. 
Um, Pat Oswalt's a great example of that. His stuff is extremely well crafted. He's choosing his words properly. He's not only choosing words that that are impactful to the story, but also funny. They have the right meter. They they fit within the almost poetry of how you're kind of telling these jokes. Um, I love the way he presents comedy. It's very 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 funny. I'm a big fan of his. Um, but then you get like your Mitch Hedberg, who all he did was one liners, and it was just glorious. But again, just wonderful um, delivery and his rhythm and his timing was just perfection. Um, so that's the kind of comedy I enjoy for sure. Um, and mm-hmm. I, back when I was younger, I used to listen to a lot of off color comedy, co- uh, comedy, lots of it. That was my thing. And you know, you grow up, right? You age and right. <laughs> you move on, you grow out of a lot of that stuff and you're like, all right, well, but still I respect the craft of it for sure. Um, games, uh, Grim Fandango is a great choice for as far, as far as funny games. You pose this on Twitter and I, I post about West of Loathing, which mm-hmm. is a game I think everyone should play. And again, it's the same thing. It's creating this humorous environment where, where fun characters um, do things it's very meta. So it plays with the conventions of like, I call it an RPG, but in the most basic bare bones way possible. And it's aware of that. Um, it's a delightful game that just goes crazy places. Um, all stick figure, black and white animation, just uh, glorious. It's a wonderful game that everyone should play. It's on Switch now, so you have no reason not to play it. Should mm. definitely check that. Yeah, out. it's phenomenal. <laughs> uh, you, 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 you especially, you would adore that if you enjoy humorous games that are just again this world of of crazy stuff. And as far as comedy movies, I don't love I. I'll go two ways. I'm still a big fan of Ace Ventura. I still laugh (laughs) at that damn movie. Um, Just the slapstick of it for some reason. And the physical comedy just just tickles me in a way that, again, subjective, right? I don't know if I can Mm -hmm. objectively say it. Well, my favorite comedy movies just make me sound like a snob. Most people probably wouldn't call it a comedy, but it really is dang close. Dr. Strangelove. Oh, uh, you know what? You took my answer. Oh, really? Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. Because no, yeah. huge Kubrick fan. I think Kubrick did a variety of different genres yep. in movies. And the first time I saw Dr. Strangelove, I don't want to take your answer. No, it's okay. Uh, but the, the first time I saw Dr. Strangelove, I was an adult. Never saw it as a kid. Only knew about it just tangentially. Uh, but I was like completely immersed in this black and white dark comedy mm that with really dry silent moments and was just like, this is one of the funniest things I have ever seen. It is. It's like beating a dead horse, but making it funny. It's a, it is, it is perfect satire. And I don't use the word perfect very often for anything. It is perfect satire because it's wrapped in so many fun comedic beats. It is dry and witty and, I, you know, listen, people don't think of, of that movie as a comedy. And honestly, when people tell me, ask me, what's your favorite movie? That's probably the answer I come out with. I have to think about it. Oh, yeah. That's like, I, I just, know you and I are Kubrick fans. Yeah, so. <laughs> like, that's my favorite movie. I, I like that movie a lot more than we've, I think we might have had this conversation somewhere, but I like it more than a 2001. Um, uh-huh. I just love, 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 love that movie. It's just, uh, yeah, I mean, it, you said it perfectly. It's just extremely funny. In a humorous way, again, not to reiterate the point a hundred times, but it's, uh, yeah, it's just a masterpiece. So, cool. Absolutely. Uh, now you got to well, pick something else. Now you got to pick something else. I got to pick something else, right? <laughs> um, I'm Pee Wee Herman's Big Adventure. No, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Maybe if I was like comedy horror. Sucks. I mean, <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Um, 
so there's so many great choices. Uh, and I almost feel like if I say one that, uh, you know, it excludes all these other films, I think there's a lot of great like animated movies that are like genuinely funny. Um, but I'll just keep it to live action for the sake of it being live action. Um, you know, I, and I can't say shorts. Like I still think Looney Tunes, original Looney Tunes, mm-hmm. despite it being pretty offensive by modern standards, I think it, it's like humongously funny. Um, we we're watching uh, the, uh, gosh, the Dick Van Dyke show. I'm like, what's his name? Like one of the most famous comedic physical actors oh, yeah. in history. Yep. Uh, the Dick Van Dyke show is still like really That's genuinely great. funny. Yep. Um, I'm just going to, I wish you hadn't have said Dr. Strangelove. <laughs> so let me, let me think for just a skosh longer. I might've said the naked gun. That's good. Uh, as that is, that is pretty, pretty fantastic. I can't, I'll never forget. I think it was in the first naked gun where the, the villain falls off at the end. Spoilers for the naked gun. Uh, and gets like, you know, falls on, uh, falls several stories onto the pavement. And then like a marching band runs over him, a car runs over him or something like that. And then like a steamroller runs over him. And one of the guys goes, Oh, that's terrible. It's just the way my father died. And like, that's such a jokey joke, but man, that's <laughs> hilarious. Pretty it's pretty good. <laughs> so I'm going to, I'm probably going to have to say Ghostbusters though. That was going to uh, be my second choice. See, look at that. We're just right in. We're, we're, we're all right, right in. in there. I yeah. mean, I could have said the, you know, like the young Dr. Frankenstein or uh, the naked gun. I don't think it's the young doctor. You could have said young Dr. Frankenstein. Young Frankenstein yeah. I think Bill Murray is hilarious. I think he's hilarious in Groundhog Day. Mm-hmm. Um, but Ghostbusters is this brilliant, you know, product of its time that I don't think you can replicate. Uh, and that's amazing. It's just really, really funny. And there's problematic so, stuff in there too. Like, you know, Peter Venkman. The, let's it, be honest. I mean, we've been, we've been covering our butts this whole pocket. Everything's po- problematic today. <laughs> like just to be perfectly honest, every single thing that was made before yesterday <laughs> is problematic. So just yeah. to get that out of the way so that we don't have to keep being like, I don't know well, those problematic. If you, if you so wanna, if people you, aren't taking notes on that. If you want to hear me, uh, talk at length beat by beat about Ghostbusters for two and a half hours with our pals at games. My mom found, I did an episode on, on Ghostbusters with them where we literally go beat by beat and talk about it. And God, I just adore Ghostbusters. One of the best screenplays ever written. I think I just, it's, yeah, it's truly great. Yeah. It, it really is. Um, so that's my movie. Nice. That I'm going to pick. So for games, either, uh, well, no, I'm just, I'm not going to do an either. Um, I'm going to say Grim Fandango. Yeah. Uh, I, Genuinely laughed at so many points in Grin Fandango. Just completely just uh what's the what's the term? Disarmed by it. Like I if I could have gone in with a defense up, be like, I'm not gonna laugh. It would have just trounced those defenses mm-hmm. completely. So I think Grin Fandango, despite a some of the puzzle issues that we talked about earlier, uh is really funny. Oh, shout out to uh the original muppets movie mm. like the first one that jim henson made yeah uh, my kids love the muppets i think the muppets movie that they made more recently with uh, amy adams in it is really funny too okay but the original muppets movie has some of the stupidest jokes like some of the worst jokes ever <laughs> like if you want to talk about like cringe comedy but that's like good it, if it's character driven it is so funny every time i watch that show there there are bits in it there are there are lines 
in it where I'm like, that's one of the funniest things that I've ever heard in my entire life. Very quick aside, very quick. Um, yesterday, my wife put on Fraggle Rock for my son. He's five. And we're like, you're going to watch something that we loved as a kid. And it was the first episode. And within 20 minutes, he was like, no, turn it off. I don't like it. I don't like this. I'm scared. He was terrified by the trash heap. The trash heap showed up. I turn around and I see the trash heap. I haven't seen Fraggle Rock in 20 years or whatever. And I'm like, oh, no, he's going to hate this. It's over. He's not. And sure enough, within three minutes, no, 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 no. I'm scared, Daddy. Turn it off. I don't like this. And then today, today he's like, he asked me for a show. He's like, can I watch a show? I'm like, all right, what do you want to watch? And he goes, well, I don't want to watch Fraggle Rock. It's not my cup of tea. Oh, nice. <laughs> that's <laughs> nicely phrased. Nicely yeah. phrased, kid. All right. Very good. Bill Jr. That's fantastic. Nicely done, Will. Show him, show him the original Muppet movie sometime. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a bit there when uh, I remembered my favorite joke from the movie. When Kermit meets Fozzie Bear for the first time, it's like in some seedy bar. And uh, Fozzie's, you know, like the comic on stage is to replace the dancing girls. So the audience is all like upset at him. So he gets up there. He's like, there once was a sailor who was so fat. And like a sailor, (laughs) a sailor stands up like an obese sailor and he smashes like a beer bottle. He's like, how fat was he? And he's like, ah. He was so fat that everybody liked him and there was nothing funny about him at all. <laughs> that bit is just, I, it's a terrible Fozzie joke. Watch that's the movie. Good. That's good, man. It's excellent. So that's up there for me, but I think I'm going to have to say Ghostbusters. So the movie, that's great away. The game, favorite comedian, Jim Gaffigan. Oh, sure. Uh, I think Jim Gaffigan yeah. is, is insanely funny. I saw him live. For my birthday once and nearly did pee myself in front of like <laughs> nine of my friends that came to, on the trip. Um, he started telling jokes about Californians and I was in California at the time and I've not encountered those jokes in any of his other material. Uh, and they were so friggin' funny when I was becoming a father for the first time. Uh, I got the book. Uh, my dad is fat from Jim Gaffigan. <laughs> uh, it's just anecdotes and things like that about fatherhood and just really funny, but the I think the great thing about Jim Gaffigan is his wife writes some of his material. Hmm. So you have this amazing combination of uh, of you know the the husband and the wife, the husband presenting the work and the wife creating the content. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, and so there's that distinction there that we were talking about earlier between delivery and the actual like words themselves. So cool. It's cool stuff. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, well, whew, moving on, we could have <laughs> talked about comedy for a long time, actually. And, uh, and like I said, it was really satisfying to talk about that. That was fun. I think. Yeah. So, uh, briefly <laughs> on, on versions, uh, there are many versions of Maniac Mansion, uh, versions that I learned about just this past week. For instance, uh, Jellico, Jellico, however you say it, uh, released a Japanese version for Famicom. Uh, where apparently Pepsi was translated as Popsy. That's great. That's great. <laughs> it is great. And that came from uh, on Twitter at LucasArtsFans, at MatthiasC1337, <laughs> and at CincoPlay. Um, so thanks for making me aware of that. It looks completely different, like a totally different it's game. It's ridiculous. So I, I saw those screenshots. Yeah. I was like, yeah, this is a different game. Yeah, that's that's nuts. And then Jaleco also went to do the NES one too. So mm-hmm. they actually were in charge of both of those. Yep. So the NES version, uh, as we've mentioned earlier, has a lot of censorship, removal of profanity. Um, so like the whole tuna headline, I guess originally that was S H I T head. 
instead, which might have landed differently on NES for sure. Um, but the NES being marketed towards younger people, um, there's an argument that like, oh, Nintendo evil censorship and stuff like that. But it's like the original version of this still existed. This is a port that they're asking to have on Nintendo's thing. So I don't think that this is a case of Nintendo eradicating art because art evil. I think this is a case of this is our platform. If you bring in our platform, this is a family friendly platform. Just like if I invite somebody on my show. And I tell them, this is a family-friendly show. Please watch your language yeah, um, or watch the content that you discuss. And if they use language, I'm going to bleep it out. That's censorship. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that I'm like impeding on their rights or anything like that. So yeah. it's, I think that has to be said for the NES version. Yeah. And I think there's there's lots of – and the, the differences between the two are relatively minor and some are actually pretty major. Um, the One of the bigger ones is that on the Commodore 64 version – or I guess I'll also say the PC versions. Um, when you go into the first main hallway, there's like a, a statue of a, mm -hmm. a naked naked woman, a, presumably a naked woman that's that's there. That's completely gone in the NES version. Uh, the blood color is toned down in the, N in the NES, if I remember correctly. It looks more like mud mm -hmm. as opposed to blood, although it does reference it. Um, a lot of the language, a lot of the way um, Nurse Edna reacts to things is way more suggestive in the Commodore 64, as for example, mm -hmm. if she um, brings one of the, the males to the dungeon, she'll say, I should have tied you to the bed, you know, like, oh, okay, wow, that's, yeah, you know that? that's pretty over the top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah there's no way the yeah. NES was going to do that. There's a lot of little things. No. One of the weirdest ones is if you go into the gym where the sarcophagus is. Um, there's like a there's a picture of a lounging female mummy, and if you read, right, it's like a mummy pinup. Yeah, it's a mummy. Yeah, exactly. It's a mummy pinup. And if you read it, it says Miss Fifty Nine BC. I mean, that's a hilarious joke. Really good joke. Really good. That's a great joke. So it's like ah, I missed out on that. But again, it's kind of one of those things. When you remove those things, does it remove anything serious from the game? I don't think it does. You know. So right. You know. And what they were discussing too, uh, and what I'd read as far as the development for the NES is, does it impact the essence of the game? No, I don't think Removing that. one joke? Nah, not really. It's still, in, a, in essence, the same game. Um, so I do push back against any sort of, you know, the NES version is a bastardized version of Maniac Mansion. Yeah, I mean, I get they had to cut things out, but I still think it's a great game. I really do. And uh, it's my preferred version, the NES version, despite having a fiddle with the controller and things like that. But you could press select to like cycle through some of mm -hmm. the more basic actions. That's right, you can. Um, mm -hmm. And then, so I had the question, can you microwave a hamster in NES Maniac Mansion? Apparently, uh, when it launched, they produced a certain number of carts that could allow you to microwave a hamster. Uh, and then Nintendo realized, oh no, <laughs> <laughs> We can't allow this. So uh, later carts that were produced did not include that, which I need to find out then. Yeah. Do I have an early cart or do I have a later cart? I'm sure it's sitting in my in my uh, my mom's house somewhere in the basement, preserved under piles of dust. I just got to go down there, <laughs> blow it off, and pop it in to see if I can microwave the hamster. And, and it'll still work because it's a cart. That's it. It'll still work. Those things are just rock solid. Yeah. Absolutely. And so Mr. Thou uh, on Twitter said, my older sister was the one who discovered that Razor would put the hamster in the microwave. I was the one that discovered you could give the remains back to Ed, who then proceeds to kill you. We found this hilarious, and it's a wonder how we both <laughs> turned out normal. Uh, one of the great things about the NES version, though, 
Um, I already loved the NES, so having it on that console is great. But the NES has the music, has the soundtrack. And I think that's humongous. It's... Uh, given that you're going to listen to these tracks quite a lot because you pick three characters. And every time you're playing as that character, you're pretty much going to hear their song. So uh, the music, though, uh, was composed by uh, George the Fat Man Sanger and his band and David Hayes and David Warhol uh, translated that music mm. into NES chiptune music. So there's a lot going on there. But I think using a real band uh, definitely gives this music some lift. And a lot of these tracks, as we mentioned earlier, are really fantastic. It, it might be my favorite NES soundtrack. I know there's so many good ones out there, um, but I just love the. Yeah, they just. It's amazing that you have to listen to that music over and over again. It never gets boring. Um, I've said what my favorite track is the Michael track. I think that just that's a stole cold, stone cold banger. Um, but even the main Maniac Mansion theme is great. Like that. Yeah. Oh man, that's great. What's your? I think that. What's your favorite track on the? No, absolutely, Dave's theme. It's great. Dave's is awesome. So it's such a bummer I don't play him, but yeah, exactly. And I was thinking that the last time. It's it sucks that he just sits in the dungeon, so you almost never hear his music. So like late game, what I did is I just traded items, and I was like, Dave, you're gonna get to see the sun again, because I absolutely have got to hear. This like the boys are back in town, like <laughs> Dave's music. Here. So uh, it's great. I mean, I love that track. I think Sid's track is really great. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of personality in in each of these tracks, that's and cool. they try to make them sound like different genre music too. Mm-hmm. So that's cool, and it conveys personality. That's a great way of putting it. They it definitely helps cement the personalities characters. Again, playing it on the old version with no music was really strange, like super, yeah. super weird. And I have that quiet, uh, just had that quiet, like that ticking and talking of the clock when you're in the main foyer. Um, yeah, no, it extends personality. Sure. Like, you know, the rock, you know, with razor, no, 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 no. It's, it's great. They're all, I mean, I don't, I don't really remember Jeff's tune too much cause I never use them, but yeah, um, same. Yeah. No, Dave's tune is I'm sure phenomenal. It's, good. it's great. Yeah. It really is Uh question of like, you know, with all of the censoring was NAS was the NAS version really for kids. Um, Mr. Thou said, even though I loved the game as a kid, I never did complete it until I was in my twenties with the help of a guide. How was anyone, let alone a child supposed to figure out on their own that you had to put the stamps in the microwave with a jar of, a jar of water to make them sticky again. Uh, and I built is a standing testimony to the fact that you can beat it as a child apparently i never i certainly never did maybe you're just a really smart kid i, I don't know about that i i think it's <laughs> i think it's gonna it's just that it's a stretching the logic right and i don't yeah. know i maybe again maybe i had a, a issue of nintendo power that spoiled a lot of the secrets or maybe I, I heard it on the playground from another kid who had it or my brother and i both playing in just kind of bouncing ideas off each other i really don't remember but what's interesting mm-hmm. about that example it's a good one you have a certain amount of tools and items and you have a certain amount of verbs and you have a certain amount of things you can do and you have a, a solution. I need to get these stamps on the package so I can mail or on the envelope so I can mail it. How do I have to do that? What are my tools? Well, I can't use a can of Pepsi. I can't use cheese. I can't use broken bottles of ketchup. Oh, I have a jar. I can put water in the jar. I've known I've done that before. Okay. How do I make the, can I use the stamps in the water? No. Can I use the stamps on the sponge to sponge to the water? 
No, you know, or like right that so you kind of just go through this process of elimination, and that's where the logic fun of it is. And it's pushing at the edges. And again, that's a hard one, right? Like, yeah, I gotta put the water in the steam. That's challenging for sure. Um, mm-hmm. but uh you can get there. And when you get the solution, which is the beauty of Maniac Mansion, you don't go screw you game, you go, Oh, why didn't I think of that? And that's a beautiful moment of discovery if you figure it out you feel like you're a genius give me all the calculus you got and if you get it spoiled for you or you get you discover the solution via looking it up online when you go oh man if i just thought about that five minutes longer i would have gotten it that is a Mm -hmm. both of those are priceless moments in games of course the one when you figure out for yourself is what makes games games (laughs) it's 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 the defining characteristic of games um when you have that moment of just empowerment of you doing something correctly. But uh, yeah, I, Mr. Thou, he, he makes a really good point. Um, that is a toughie. I don't know how I did it again. Maybe it was a kid on the playground who just read a thing who big brother figured it out. I don't know. Group think. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, beyond the NES version, you know, where can you find this today? You can find it on steam or GOG. Um, they both have the original and the enhanced version that you can get as one package. Um, you're not going to get that music. So check out the soundtrack like on YouTube or something or find it for NES. If you're a retro collector, uh, I don't think it's too expensive of a cart to find right now. Actually, well, I'll tell you exactly how much it is. Cause I actually looked it up for my upcoming episode. Oh, you did? I did. Cause I want to do a little bit of research. Like, huh, I'm playing maniac mansion right now on steam. And I was playing on an emulator before, but I was just, a pain with the control so i switched to a mouse and keyboard and i said huh how much would it cost me to get maniac mansion right now so i went on ebay craigslist 30 bucks for a loose yeah. for a loose cart eh, yeah fair. I, i'm seeing a couple here for yeah like 28 dollars, 29 dollars, yeah. just for the loose cart again not not the whole box there's somebody selling the whole box for 209 I found uh, I found once yesterday it was for twenty thousand dollars, but it was a Spanish version that was complete in box in a fancy case. Um, I don't know. If you, that's not much use to you and I. No, <laughs> certainly isn't. But again, it kind of proves the point of the episode as I was trying to discuss. Yeah, that was part of like my intro was like, um, right now I'm playing a game. What if I want to play this in original hardware? Thirty bucks, and my realization is that's half the price of a triple A title. Like I could buy yeah. all three Bioshocks and the DLC for twelve bucks right now. Huh. Yeah. This is weird. I mean, not like, to mention when Black Friday comes along, you buy right. all the Uncharted's for six dollars. Spring Steam sale. You know, I, I spend a hundred right. bucks. Yeah. I have eight games, right? But regardless, right. that's outside this conversation. Thirty bucks will get you get you Maniac Mansion for your NES. Yeah. Yep. Uh and there are other ways, obviously. Uh, that we shan't discuss in polite company. Oh, is, so. is it? Is it a, <laughs> I use the E word. Oh, no. Yeah, no, no. Uh, well, anyway, uh, let's move on here to some audience questions. Uh, if you want to ask a question or share a comment to get a mention on the show, like these fine folks, then you have to keep an eye out on my Twitter at the Wellbred Mage, where I announce the topics for each Magecast episode in advance. Also, taking questions on uh, the uh, Magecast uh, pre show nights that I've been doing while well, that I did once not been doing. Uh, and, uh, and you know, if something pops in your head, let me know, I'll jot it down and try and, you know, give you a shout out on this show. And the, the real importance for me is that it helps to kind of flesh out, I think not just the outline, but the conversation and it's fun to add different voices in. So 
definitely do that. I'm going to announce the next episode now, which you're not probably, you're probably not expecting this game. Uh, if you're listening, but we're going to talk about home improvement for super That's Nintendo, so not crazy. the sitcom. We're going to talk about super Nintendo freaking home. So improvement. crazy. Oh my gosh. Yes. Uh, with ducks in disguise. Uh, ah. so Lord willing, if everything works out uh, in the next several weeks, we'll be talking about that. Awesome. Uh, and he, mostly his experiences because he suffered through it. So that's awesome. Uh, I'll probably dabble, but I don't think I'm going to beat it. <laughs> yeah, Ducks is a and Ducks is a good guy too. He's a he's a really fun listen. So uh, that'll be a fun episode. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, so couple final questions here from at duct tape plays. I've never actually played this one. All I know is the story about the <laughs> hamster. Love that he pointed that out. Which, yeah, that was like within announcing the episode, like within the first five minutes, people were like, Oh, hamster hamster. I didn't know. How heard did I miss this? I, I completely missed the hamster thing. I had no that's idea. Hilarious. I mean, you, you beat the game as a kid. I never used the rockers. I couldn't, I couldn't, couldn't do the hamster. Yeah, that's crazy. That is crazy. But so his question was uh, worth playing these days. Uh, is Maniac Mansion in an internet world worth playing these days? What would you say, Bill? Oh, absolutely. I, I definitely think it's worth playing. It's not only is it kind of a formative game, like we've discussed, of you know a lot of adventure games that are currently out there. Um, it's still a lot of fun. It's got a lot of charm. It has a a great cast. The story's fun. Again, a humorous environment without being jokey. The puzzles aren't too, too obtuse. Like you can get to the solutions if you just kind of push at the edges a bit. There's nothing too obtuse about it. Um, and if you know what you're doing and use a spoiler free walkthrough, maybe you can blow through it in like 45 minutes. Um, you know, depending on kind of your, how good you are at these sort of games. I think it's definitely worth playing, but I would definitely seek out the NES version if you can. Um, I, I did enjoy my time with the, the Commodore 64 version, but it was not the same without the music. And I think if you got to do that, put the, find the music on YouTube and play the soundtrack along with it while you're playing the game and kind of sort of had the experience. But, um, if you can get this as the NES version, uh, that's by far, I think the preferred way to play. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's going to miss some of the jokes and it's going to miss some of the more adult humor, uh, if that bothers you, then go seek out those other versions. Um, and they're cheap. I mean, like what is it? Steam, like four ninety nine, five ninety nine, something. Yeah, like I that. paid like um, six bucks, I think, for it for the Steam one. Yeah, but I mean, that's super easy. Plus, another thing is, it's not going to take you a whole lot of time to get through this game, especially if you break down and consult a guide. I would recommend if you're playing this for the first time, just try and play the game on its own terms. Try and get a hold of like what its logic is. And if you get stuck, then look up a quick guide um, and then try and get your what your progress going again and try on your own. Um, but don't just like pull up a walkthrough and just basically go through the entire thing. That would be like somebody telling you each of the steps necessary to solve like a Rubik's Cube. Um, and at that point, it's like, are you really solving it or are you just reading the solutions or are you even having fun? <laughs> you know? Yeah, I know. But but uh, but yeah. I think that I would agree that I love the NES version, especially for that music. Uh, if you love 8-bit chiptune, you definitely have to check that out. Uh, final question here from Sanity Crypto. Do you think Maniac Mansion would be accepted as a remaster slash reimagining? So there's that enhanced version that you can get, um, but that's already got some some age on it at this point. Um, would a remaster 
work. I mean, one of the, again, this is acknowledging this game is pre-internet largely Mm -hmm. a pre dramatic access to internet. Yeah. Uh, widespread access to internet. Now, I mean, I have a computer in my pocket that can pull up any information I want to at any time of day for like beans, you know, yeah. like easily. So I think that a lot of uh, adventure games have tried to come up with puzzles that you can't just look up. And to me, that's a really fascinating idea, but sometimes they end up becoming so so bizarre and so far out that you can't even solve it on your own. Right. Never mind consulting the internet. So I think that would be one of the challenges with Maniac Mansion. If it's just a straight port with updated visuals, a remaster or whatever, fine, you know, put that out there. Um, I don't think it needs it. Uh, it would be interesting to see like an FMV version of this with like real actors mm-hmm. moving through like a real home. Uh, but I don't know. What what do you think? I'm sort of on the fence about that. I, I think because again, you got to talk now about a little bit about the difference between a remaster and a reimagining. Uh, where a remaster mm-hmm. is a new coat of paint, and a reimagining is kind of like Final Fantasy VII situation, where it's really recontextualizing and maybe changing stories, adding some puzzles, perhaps maybe a little more depth to the characters. Um, as far as a reimagining, I don't think it's necessary. Um, I think it's just fine the way it is. A remaster, a nice coat of paint might be nice on it. Um, basically, give it the day of the tentacle treatment. Um, the great mm-hmm. day of the tentacle remaster is phenomenal. It's great. Um, they update the UI a bit to make it really easy to use on controllers, which is awesome. It's very, very elegant in the way they do that. Um, it just a little, smoothing the, smooth the edges out on the game, maybe. That'd be great. Some more detail to the world. You know, maybe some, you know, just more detail and context and flavor. Um, that'd be about it. I wouldn't I wouldn't mess with the puzzles. I wouldn't really mess with the characters or the, even the dialogue. Um, because, again, mm-hmm. so much of that is so Ron Gilbert, you know, Lucas, LucasArts. It just has a certain flavor and tone to it that's really vital, I think, to the game and gives it that character. Um, but yeah. I could see a nice fresh coat of paint on it. Yeah. And maybe, again, improve the UI a little bit. And, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, you mentioned Lucas and this dawned on me. Do you want to risk sort of George Lucasing it? Do you want to risk fiddling with it and breaking it? It is a product of its time. It could be censored by today's obsession with everything being problematic, uh, or it could be left intact. I think leaving it intact is yeah. a good idea. And there's nothing in this. Uh, there's nothing in this that's that's uh, too offensive. That's there's nothing again. Well, this to you. Well, <laughs> either you never know. There's people. Fair. Out that's a good point. I but, don't think there's. Yeah. I, I think yeah. There's nothing here that would be rated more than more than a PG-13. Um, that'd be kind yeah. of an IRL PG-13. But yeah, yeah. No, definitely. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I I wouldn't want somebody to come along and and Mickey Mouse it. Um, I wouldn't want somebody to come along and like when you said changing dialogue, I was like, Oh, that's kind of, yeah, that's it. Right. That's there. no good. So yeah, if you're starting, if you're starting to change characters and again, we're talking not just about like, Hey, we want to put this on NES and NES and Nintendo's like, well, we have a family friendly system. Here's our policy. Um, at least for the West, I guess in Japan, they didn't care about anything, but, uh, with a, like a modern port to modern systems, um, I don't think that would be the same sort of issue. But again, if you're going to start messing with characters, to me, that starts to bridge into the whole Netflix Cowboy Bebop thing. We're like, we're going to fix Cowboy Bebop. It's like, don't make remakes 
that start to sound like we're going to fix the original. Yeah. I think that's mean spirited and the almost the opposite of preservation. Yeah. So obviously I don't want to get into that subject, that <laughs> but we know they're half an hour. Right. But just in, in terms of there have been a lot of remakes over time in various different media by different studios that have not been amazing. Yeah. And I think that's because they, they, they tried to fix it. They lost the spirit of the original. They missed the essence, whatever it is. Uh, they've either changed too much and I, you could ask for a one-to-one remake, a, just a straight remaster with better visuals. That's fine. I think, especially for a game like this, but if you're going to change something, make it a meaningful change that does not destroy what this game is at its core. And I think uh, I, and this is because you haven't played Day of the Tentacle, so this may not be pertinent, but Day of the Tentacle does this beautifully because it has a nice coat of paint, but you can choose. You can turn off the coat of paint and just play it the way it was back when it was released. Like you don't have to have the new bells and whistles on it. I think you can even change this, the music. Instead of the updated music, you have the old music. Um, I think every remaster should give you the choice to either play it as is or play it with the new coat of paint. That way people can not only have the preservation of it, or sorry, not only have the new updated with the edges sound sanded off, you know, that the rough parts sanded mm-hmm. and a new coat of paint, but also play it as it was. So you can experience, you know, Final Fantasy VII for what it was, you know, 15, 20 years ago, whenever it happened, when it ever came out. Oh, yeah. Embedding Final Fantasy VII in Final Fantasy VII Remake. Yeah. That would be Just put it there. Pretty oh, cool. Just put it there. Yeah, yeah. just put it there. <laughs> yeah, if, if they don't have it in Gold Saucer, that would be pretty. I mean, that's a huge game, though. But yeah, I mean, that is a, that's a really interesting idea and for sure. fun little fact, you, uh, if you, and everyone should know this if you play Day of the Tentacle. Day of the Tentacle has... Uh, Maniac Mansion in its entirety hidden in the game. Mm-hmm. You actually go to mm-hmm. uh, Weird Ed's room and look at his computer and play Maniac Mansion within Day of the Tentacle and play the entire game. That yes. is cool. and That is absolutely cool. Yeah. That is really cool. Well, speaking of uh, just briefly before we end here, uh, I think a really good example of a remaster was the 20th anniversary. I believe it was 20th anniversary for Another World, aka Out of This World, oh, yeah. if you played it on Super Nintendo, mm-hmm. um, where you could jump between the original graphics uh, to the updated graphics yep. and kind of see that difference. So you could play the game in in two different ways and kind of see the philosophy behind the visual changes that were made. I think that is real nice. I think it does preserve the original in a fashion uh, and it allows you to have that agency. And I think a game that gives the player more agency rather than less is, uh, is a good thing. Yeah. Always good. For sure. Choice is always a good yes. thing. Yes. Did we disagree on anything in this show? I don't think so. We are, we are, <laughs> we are people of a similar ilk. I think we're, uh... I know. at least we had different comedians. I guess. Uh, yeah. like, so there, there's that. <laughs> very good. There's that. Well, Bill, thanks very much for being on this episode. You're you're a legend. You're amazing. You're doing good work with uh, with your show. Um, let it, let everybody know would you where we can find. Yeah, you. so uh, the show, of course, is called uh, A Gamer Looks at Forty. So you can find me on Twitter. That's the main hub for all the things on the show. I try to post daily, but you know, life and and whatnot gets in the way. I'm not like this crazy man over here who posts. I don't know, six times a day and always something oh, funny. Oh, it's more than six. It's got to be. It's more than six. Oh, yeah, it's not always <laughs> funny. Again, it's it? for the most part. You lie to my face over here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, no, it's uh, a game real to 40. Um, and also, if you want to be a part of the show, 
I recommend give it a listen. You know, listen to the couple episodes. If there's a topic that strikes your fancy, then listen to it. And if you want to be a part of it, let me know either on Twitter, direct message are open, or you can email me at a gamer looks at 40 at gmail.com and say, hey, I want to be on the show. And again, you don't need a fancy microphone. You don't need to be a podcaster. You don't need to be a YouTuber. I've got people on the show that I just went to a Facebook group and said, hey, you want to be on the show? And people are like, sure. And boom, they're crucial parts of a lot of episodes. So um, low barrier of entry, no barrier of entry as much as possible um, required for this. So um, yeah, a gamer looks at 40. Please uh, give it a listen. Very cool. Well, uh, thanks again for the talk. And dude, I mean, I wish we could just spend like an hour more. I'm starting to fall asleep. I'm <laughs> no, just kidding. I wish we could talk an hour more even just about the comedy again yeah. or just about the genres and stuff like that. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, man. But Bill, thanks, and uh, we'll catch up with you next time. Right on. Thanks. Thanks very much for listening. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next episode of MageCast. If you're still craving more magic, visit thepixels.com, that's the-pixels.com, and patreon.com forward slash thepixels, or join our Discord to be part of the conversation, link in the description, or find me on Twitter at thewellreadmage, or live streaming at twitch.tv forward slash the well read mage that's thrice a week plus the thursday night pre-show drop a follow drop a comment even a retweet goes a long way this episode may be over but the legend will live on passed down by the dwarves the elves and the dragons <laughs>